Welcome to Facehammer. This show may contain naughty language and explicit content. You have been warned. Welcome to Facehammer mini-sode about um, painting journeys. It's uh, me, Russ the Face. I'm joined by Byron... Really good at non-metallic metal ord, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we'll get and, and Terry loves flesh wash. Like <laughs> uh, we it's, just it's proper it. old school flesh wash. We've just had a look at some of our old sort of classic models. Uh, we shared them. And it's quite entertaining. Um, yeah, so we're just doing a little show, and it's going to be hobby focused. So if you're into gaming, just switch off. Yeah, go away. Can, it's not no gaming here. Uh, if you want to hear about painting, or you're just bored and want something while you're painting, then this will be the show for you, I think. If you just want to hear me being ridiculed for uh, <laughs> just stick around while we talk about my first my first miniatures. Yeah, so we're going to focus on Byron, basically, because he's, he's, he's here. Um, um, but we're going to basically talk about the painting journey and learning how to get good at painting, starting from... Where a position where you maybe you've only painted a model or two and you don't really know what you're doing, into how you get to award-winning standard, I guess probably a good way to yeah, all this relevant, isn't it? Yeah, as um, I think there's a lot to be said. Um, it's not from painting, but I got a uh, I got a lesson from someone once. It was it was a climbing lesson actually from a professional rock climber, and he said he always took lessons from everyone. So some people, even he was, he was worse than, like, whatever stage you're at, you can, you can gain knowledge from people who might not even necessarily be as good as you just because they go about one particular thing a way that's different. Yeah, I think it, it's a really good example that, um, everyone does sort of stuff differently and everyone finds their own things out and knowledge is, is key really. Knowledge yeah. is half the battle. It is. You could learn how to undercoat, um, as a perfect example, so uh, I've had a painting lesson at Golem, and one of the most interesting things there was we undercoated some models by hand, and we did it with stippling, which I'd never done before, but the issue with undercoating models by hand normally is that when you wipe your brush on them, uh, it's like if you imagine buttering bread, if there's a recess, you leave more in the recess than you do on the raised bit. Um, but if you like, if you stipple your paint on a model to undercoat it, then everywhere gets equal coverage, even if it looks a tiny bit lumpy at first, it dries flat, so it's by far the quickest way to undercoat a model by hand, is to stipple it with a large pokey brush. Um, I'd never come across that before. No, I'd never heard of that before. It's really, really useful, so we went from like a black undercoated model to a, I think it was a snakebite leathery undercoated model in about 10 minutes with perfect coverage, which normally would be quite difficult. Yeah. Top tips. Top tip there. So, it's definitely. <laughs> so, um, so I don't know how. What, what sort of? Where do you want to start? I mean, what's the, the sort of the key starting point of your journey? How did it all start? So, um, it was interesting uh, listening to the last minisode, which I wasn't on, where Russ talked about how when he when he started painting, he just he picked a technique. Um, whether it was flat base coating, clean colours, or dry brushing, or washing, or whatever. And every time he painted an army, he'd, he'd have a technique, even from the very start, which is a, 
probably a testimony to just how anal you are, Russ. <laughs> yeah, well, it was more accident than design, I think. Because um, well, I, I probably should expand a little bit on that. Um, it wasn't that intentional. Um, basically, what because I was very young when I started painting. I was sort of started out painting models when I was about eight years old. Um, when I was about ten, I had a lesson from a guy who was the GW manager at the time in Swindon, uh, Clint, and he showed me how to use inks and to reapply a base coat over the top. So, because that's all I knew, that's what I did. Um, and when I was a little bit scared to try new things, so I wouldn't deviate off what I'd so then I got very good at doing that thing. Then like, I got shown dry brushing by Clint on a great and clean one. <clears throat> and I used that on armies. I did a whole undead army, which I've, I've shared that with the WhatsApp group. Um, beautiful. It's good, isn't it? Um, and like, <laughs> I did that on, I dry brushed a beastman army. I dry brushed lizardman army. I dry brushed a, you know, so, and I, you know, there was a lot of things I did. Maybe you should be dry brush wanker, not Byron. <laughs> yeah, well, I think um, maybe that's true. Um, but I, you know, so it wasn't really by design; it was more. Sounds like you had a accident. good store manager more than anything. Yeah, he was he was a top guy. Um, to be fair, he, you know, obviously as a kid, he he obviously showed me some some techniques and stuff that I and and took the time to paint show me some painting things. I think a lot of it was he, he was very into the similar armies I was into. Um, and he, I would go into the shop, see a model in the cabinet, I'd ask how he painted it. And then he would show me his main sort of technique and I'd try and copy it, uh, spend my pocket money on the model, go away, paint it, come back, show him like a couple of weeks later kind of thing. You know, I was very young, you know, it's kind of thing you do. So how old were you at this point? About 10. How old was he? There wasn't anything pervy about so it, Terry. He's like, he's like grooming you, your painting skills. wasn't anything pervy about it. Yeah, it was that a sounds... public space, parents <laughs> were there. There wasn't anything sexual about it, fuck's sake. That How sounds... old was he? I don't <laughs> fucking know, he was an adult. He was in his 30s, I think. You were getting groomed in a games workshop, god dear. Let's not talk about that after a certain revelation to come out in the paper this week. <laughs> uh, I'm not going well, to expand on that. <laughs> from a, uh, from a non-grooming perspective, that sounds well. That sounds like a really that probably completely sculpted your attitude towards learning and painting today. Because if if I'd had a local GW I could walk into and someone would take that attitude, I, I'm sure I would have learned really well from a young age. Um, yeah. That's kind of how I paint today. Like, I'll, I'll see something and think, oh, wow, I well, will come to a few examples of exactly that. They weren't done. They were done remotely by the interwebs or whatever. But um, seeing something and thinking, I'd love to be able to paint like that and then trying it, whether successfully or not, and learning from it and then asking the person who I was emulating for advice or tips or whatever. Mm. Yeah, it's a good way to learn, really. Cool. Fine. Right, so I thought the way we go about things was I... To, we won't cover the time when I painted when I was a little kiddie wink. Um, as fucking hilarious as it would be for everyone, and I will, I will. Like, you gotta share that non-metallic metal goblin. No, no, this is earlier than that because oh. I painted. I painted when I was like twelve, uh, for yeah. a little bit, and then I stopped, and I came back to the hobby. Um, right. So Russ is laughing at my efforts as a seventeen-year-old, which is very nice. Oh, I'm not. Don't make me sound like a bastard. <laughs> 
it is hilarious. Um, but we won't we won't cover my like little kiddie efforts. Although I will try and I don't have pictures of them, but I'm sure some of those models might be somewhere at my parents. So next time I go back, I can uh, I can grab like a, a sweet Gotrican Felix to show you or something. Um, everyone can have a good laugh at those. So we'll cover when I restarted painting and why I paint how I do. And I think it took me quite it took me quite a while to arrive at my style of painting now. And obviously it's always shifting as someone who's trying to improve what they do or, or try new things or work on weaknesses. But it took me probably, I reckon, three years before I was comfortably, and you were talking about confidence in the last, uh, with um, paint placement, Russ, um, yeah. before I was confident with a style that's your own. And I think that's really important in, in everything, like, Everyone thinks in different ways. They work in different ways. And sometimes there's just things you can't do. So um, for years, edge highlighting was just something that I wasn't very good at. And it took it took fucking ever. And to date, there are some things I just flat out have issues with. Um, yeah, and I, I think things like that is when it's a mental block you put up for yourself and you go, oh, that was a disaster. It's like you were talking about your non-metallic metal. Yeah. You had a go, it was a disaster. <laughs> Uh, sorry, I took got the image in front of me. Um, and then you you decided I'm not going to do that for a long time. And what I think the important thing here is to get over yourself. Um, and it will it, it it you have to, to fail to to the. Yeah, I'm not going to quote Batman. You know why do we fall? But you kind of got to uh, so we can pick ourselves up, Master <coughs> Bruce. Yeah, you've kind of got to fail <clears throat> to look at yourself and go why was that bad and how do I make that better being willing to fail is really important as well like mm. not everything goes right fuck it it doesn't matter like you will learn more by failing at something than you will by doing the same thing that you know you can already do again and again yeah. uh, there, are, there is a lot of benefit to repetition and I'll touch on that um, but A it can make you want to kill yourself and B it's not something new so being willing to fail with something is a really important step I think yeah, and I think as well that's the the sort of that's the discipline really is is to that's that's where the confidence comes from is to know that if it goes wrong, it goes wrong. But if you don't try, you, 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 and I, I've had it before when people used to come up with recipes of how they paint a certain thing. I paint bone like this. So, but when you get past that and you think you get to an advanced level and you start thinking, well, I've painted bone this way before. But actually, on this piece, I want my bone to have a different look. Yeah, so do I'm going to do it differently. Like, yeah, look. exactly. And that's one thing that always comes up with recipes. It's almost more important, I think, and one of the hardest things to learn in painting is... So if you... If, this is hard to do without a diagram. But if you imagine the spectrum of colours on uh, a cloak, for example, between base coat and highlight, and you imagine that as a, a bar and then spaces as to how much of that bar is taken up with a mid-tone, and then you yeah. go to the right-hand side, how much of it's highlight, the left-hand side, how much of it is shadow. Like, the actual fractions there, if you've got um, a mid-tone, uh, one shade, a darker shade, one highlight, and a lighter highlight, like, the actual, it's the spacing of those, like, that is a really hard thing to gauge. So, like, 2% at the end should be your highlight, and then 10% your final highlight and then 10% should be your other highlight. A load of it should be mid-tone and then maybe you've got the opposite on the other end or you're going for a particular technique and, and that changes. Knowing that is a lot more important than knowing like 
first this color, then this color, then this color, because like like Russ just said, what if you want your bone to look uh, rotten or dusty or really, really fucking crisp and clean, uh, like sand bleached, yeah. and it's knowing where to put things and how to put things. And I remember when I was highlighting for the first time, sorry, this is going to be a bit sort of chopping around a bit, um, I was painting a highlight colour over the colour I'd just done and I wasn't leaving a gap. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it was like almost painting over the whole thing and it's like, then at the end of the model, I've done six layers and you look at it and you go, how many of those layers are actually visible? In there. And you just I still think, have issues with that. Yeah. And it's not a, it's a common thing because you, you sort of paint over the top <clears> and it's sometimes less is more and it, it, it's, it, I think what we're trying to say here is that you have to have a go, and you yeah. have to practice. For sure. And you have yeah. to push yourself. This episode is going to jump around as a matter of course, because we're bringing up things that are noteworthy of discussion, but um, Russ has already touched on it briefly. There are, like, there, are, there are ways to paint where you can help yourself a lot in those methods. Russ has already touched on uh, base coat, wash, repeat base coat. Um, that is like a key way. If, if anyone is having difficulties with painting any fucking thing in the world ever... This method is a fail-safe that I and a lot of other painters go back to. So, base coat, wash your base coat, repeat your base coat, but as a highlight, um, so not on all of the areas, leaving your wash in the recesses, then add a highlight to your base coat colour and use that as a highlight. So that's a four-stage method, which is very, very difficult to get wrong, and that's for a number of reasons. So, firstly, you're using the wash to dictate where you should put the shades on the model. That's not always apparent. It doesn't work for everything. Like, if you're trying to do this on a tank with loads of flat areas, you're going to have difficulties. If it's on a piece of cloth, though, or something, it's really helpful. Actually, in those recesses, I just need to leave them dark, because I do. And then you've got a... Uh, it's a more paint-by-numbers method once you put the wash down. So you repeat your base coat, and then you add a colour, let's say, uh, for sake of argument, I'm doing turquoise and I add a bone to my turquoise for the highlight. Uh, something else that makes that method really solid is it's coherent because your base coat appears twice in it. So three of the steps involve your, well, all the steps involve your base coat colour, and as a result you're promoting coherency throughout the entire model, but you're getting a variance in shade. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of things you can do to make it a little easier for yourself while you are learning these things. And seeing washes on a model um, is something that I think on a fundamental level is just seeing them again and again and seeing where things pull and how they pull is a really good way to get better at painting. It's not all about practice. <clears throat> a lot of it is no. about study and seeing seeing where stuff pulls, like on a craggy face of a goblin or something. I'm saying that because we've got a beautiful example on the screen in front of us currently. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <that's coughs> oh, not so knowing, <laughs> knowing where it pulls around its nose and stuff and then highlighting the other areas that's a perfect way to learn ironically uh, they were the models that I learned to paint with goblins night goblins yeah, so I only brilliant. have to worry about hands and faces they are absolutely fantastic they're perfect for it picking so we're jumping around all over the place here but it's all relevant picking simple models is another thing like Russ just said only hands and faces like night goblins are a perfect example because if it's not a cloth it's skin or a weapon done maybe you've got a belt or a coin or like a, a little sack or a little <laughs> 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 or details we're I'm so mature a, I'm looking at a goblin with a little red maybe sack maybe you've got a little sack I'm looking at a goblin with a red sack, sack. it be green 
so yeah um what we're going to do for this episode is I've got a pretty exhaustive list, including the hilarious goblin on our screen currently, um, of my painting journey. That is, how are we going to work it in? Is there going to be a separate page that people can click for the show notes or something? We'll, we'll do a separate page. Cool. Um, there's yeah, there's a lot of pictures, but I will uh, I will go through them. Uh, like as I'm talking about my journey, I'll try and refer it back to them. So if listeners do want to read along at home which is something I've really liked on other podcasts, so we thought we'd try out. Uh, they are more than welcome to. And if people want to ask questions in reference to certain things, they're more than welcome to. At the very bottom of the pictures, there's a link to, uh, the well, there will be a link to my gallery on Element, which is a lot of my recent stuff. Uh, and then to cover some of my older stuff from when I started commission painting, there's my thread on Warseer, and that's got a lot of the models we'll talk about. And also... Um, a couple of references that I'm going to make as to things that have influenced the way I paint uh, and why I paint. Yeah, and I think what we're going to do is focus mainly on Byron's journey in this one. But what if this is popular, what we'll probably do is end up doing it one free for every one of us at some point. <laughs> um, I think it should be really interesting. Because, I mean, even to see, like... I mean, I know like, even like Terry, like, I don't know a lot of the stuff you've done in the past. I just thought just expose myself to some of it, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, it's good Cool, but... alright then So to begin, at the beginning of when I started painting I started painting with orcs and goblins um, So we've, we <laughs> there are some pictures uh, My wolf riders are probably the the example of the worst painting that we have um, For me when I was beginning uh, They've got some sweet green stuff sculpting on their robes uh, I didn't even notice that. I'm going to have to check that. Hang on. That's because it, well, it's so flawless, Terry. It's so seamless. It is, I thought it was part of the model. It's practically perfect in everywhere. It's like Mary Poppins. Um, so th- this is, I mean, this this unit's super legit. Awesome. Threatening. <clears throat> I like the fact you haven't picked the banner top. Yeah. You just left that black. Well, uh, I think it might have put. Okay, it might have got, if, <laughs> that's a work in progress shot. It must be. I'm sure, I can't have been that. It's bad. just painted black and gone, yeah, uh, done with that. Not finished. <laughs> I, the worst thing about this unit for me is the fact that I hadn't painted the base rooms black. I find that sacrilegious. Um, uh, have you still are, got this unit? Why is one of the wolves a different colour? It's like a it's green. One's like gray. a yellowy green. He's got yeah. like. Sure, some did sort you like have a contaminated brush because you've the just cham- done the green ink? It's the champion's wolf. Is that always on the end? Yeah. <laughs> he's, on, he's on the end to accept challenges. Oh, Byron was so gamey. Fuck off, alright? <laughs> okay. So, um, when I started painting, it was... Um, I was doing... This is a unit, but mostly I was like, I was painting... I started painting Night Goblins, and then I moved on to... I did a couple of units, like five or whatever, but then I moved on to single miniatures to try and get better, because I knew I wasn't very good, as is evident by the pictures we're going to link. Um, I didn't know how to blend at this stage. I could dry brush-ish, as you'd see from the wall pictures, but... <laughs> you had a go at it. I did probably, probably more moist brushing than dry brushing. Um... Overloaded brushes are plenty there. Um, but I didn't know how to layer. So one of the ways that I highlighted things was to, I just did lots of little lines because I, I, I genuinely couldn't get the concept of, of like blending at all. That wasn't a thing for me and it wasn't something I knew 
remotely how to do, and I, I just couldn't get it. So there's a squig hopper, which is actually an all right painted model, which is one of the next ones that will be linked. And you can see that on that, like, uh, it's not a bad mini, uh, but I didn't know how to blend, so I, I just picked a lighter color and then put lines on the squig's chest and things like that to try and, to try and have some variation rather than blocking in things. And like, these pictures are evident as someone who doesn't quite know what they're doing and is just messing around a bit. Um, and I think that's, that's a key point when you talked about theory and practice is that you need to do a little bit of what, what how do you do it, then try and practice it. Yeah. Rather than just do experimentations all well and good, but when it's not focused, it doesn't really teach you a lot other than what not to do, mostly. That, that checkered freehand is not bad. No, I know. That's, I'd, so that, that checkered freehand, that was the start of me experimenting and learning things, um, for myself. So what I did with that was I got a fine detail brush and I just chopped the end off. Um, painted, uh, so I painted, uh, it's a two step check. So I painted a white line around the edge of the rim. And then with this squared off brush, I could, um, I could use the brush to do black stripes down that white line if that makes sense, to make the checks. And then I painted another white line below that line and did the same thing in opposite places. Um, so that was the beginning of me learning how to do things. Oh, it wasn't necessary brush control at all. It was finding a way around a technique um, and like the, the beginning of learning your own shorthand ways to achieve results. Uh, there's still things that I definitely couldn't do, which is where we come on to my NMM attempts, which the guys have been laughing about. <laughs> this, this is incredible. It's super legit. So, um, this is a, it's another sick conversion. It is a, <laughs> it's a Night Goblin fanatic who I've converted to be holding a, and you'll recognize one of the old Chaos Warrior axe heads. Um, He's in a really aggro pose, or more accurately, looks like he's just tripped over that skull on his face. Um, and I tried to do NMM on this guy, and it just looks like bad dry brushing, really, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's not amazing. It's, I mean, I think the axe looks like it's just painted flat colour. Yeah, I think you've done. You've had a go on the skull, which you can see on the middle of the axe head. It's a bit better, but it's almost like when you got to the flat surface of the axe head, you just didn't know how to do it. Yeah, but that's... And you basically just went, I'll just paint it grey. So I hadn't learned paint dilution at this stage. Uh, you, you can tell just by looking at it um, or blending. So everything looks like it's dry brushed badly. I love dry brushing. Dry brushing isn't a bad technique, but it looks like it's dry brushed badly um, because I, I didn't know how else to do things, apart from the bits where I've painted with little lines that look passable and okay. Um, also, you can just tell that shit is lumpy. Uh, yeah. Like all over the paint is too thick, so that's like I mean even look at like the models Terry linked and the ones I did that's a key thing isn't it? Um, I I had it when I was when I was younger and I was doing it and it was like I don't want to get paint in the wrong place so I don't want to thin the paint because it's it's hard to control and then you end up with grainy lumpy paint. You'd look how grainy that bleach bone is on I that know, dressing terminator I painted. Yeah. yeah. It's so thick. There's probably about eight layers of paint on that model. <laughs> I mean, if you saw how many coats of, of white and red on that land, that rhino, and the masking tape cockpit. <laughs> We've got, yeah, we are going up some classics here. Um, for people who don't have the pictures in front of them, uh, essentially there's an axe on this goblin 
that I've tried to paint looking shiny with NMM, but I didn't know how to blend, so it just didn't happen. Yeah. I, I couldn't. I wasn't using the same color in diluted thin layers and repeating it, which is something that Rush, Rust touched on on the recent episode. I was I was just using a fairly thick version of one color and then adding and white to make you it haven't thicker. got the uh, concept of the contrast. No, when there is no detail, which no. is a key point to non-metallic metal. Yeah, exactly. paint, pa- painting detail where there is none on a flat surface is is a challenge. Yeah, and that definitely is something that takes confidence. Um, which, but if you don't uh, have a go... Yeah, exactly. You don't if know, had, do you? No. Um, but at, at that stage, I realised that I just needed to give... Like, I needed to work on other stuff. Um, so I started a Warriors of Chaos army, and this was a time when GW brought out their washes. The beginning of a new beautiful it's era. The Devil and Mud era, was it? It was, yes. So yeah. I, Oh, this I is think. after the Flesh Wash era. Yeah. An armor I, wash. Yeah, I never, I never had those. I didn't, like, I didn't go through those stages. And the uh, inks. I, I, I ink learned on ink. That's all I did was inks. Um, I didn't do anything else, um, other than inks. Um, because that's all that was out on inks. That's why I had to repaint the base coat so much. Because the inks were really, really strong. They just completely yes, yeah. overpowered it. Pigment sluts. So you, yeah, they were super sluts. So you ended up close to black lining, but using the inks, I yeah, guess. Basically, yeah. yeah. And it was, was it, so I'm not sure how it was for you guys. I never really painted 40k models. So a lot of the techniques to do with, uh, armor being power armor and tanks and things, I, I didn't touch when I started. You guys were, different because you started with 40k yeah i i started i started with a there was a a shop in town which was a photographer shop and upstairs i think one of the staff was into models and a couple things and there was a bits box i got a chaos renegade space marine i i got it home my dad got his old humble enamel paints out Oh, wicked good. Now, Sweet. you know, so my brother was painting something. I was a bit too young, really, to be doing this. Um, I got a brush and I painted humbrol purple paint over the whole model. Then I decided that he needed to have red eyes and he had like a ribbing on the armor, which I decided needed to be red. So I got a humbrol red and then a black to do the gun. Uh, and the eyes looked like I basically just painted half his face red, and it was all shiny, and it was horrible. Um, so that was the first model I painted. The first models I painted was like some army, like um, airfix style army soldiers. Yeah. And I painted those with humbrol enamel paints, and you obviously had to wash your brush with white spirit and. Like, I just remember them having like camo. I painted the models with matte camo and the boots with like gloss black. So all the soldiers had like super shiny <laughs> black boots, but like really doled out camo. And I remember my dad taking the piss going on about how they'll just see shiny boots running through the jungle. <laughs> and I was probably only like seven or eight when I painted them. But that, that was the first models I painted some like airfix soldier men things. But I actually mostly, when I started doing like what I'd call a bit more constructive painting, it was fantasy models I started on. Okay. 
so um, uh, the next thing with with the uh, the invention of washes, which is this magical uh, magical product. Like I had struggled on metallics, but washes came out, and suddenly all I wanted to do was metallics. So, what to do when I want to paint metallics? You buy Warriors of Chaos. So I started making a Warriors of Chaos army, and this was also the start of the time that I moved away from. Uh, like when I started, uh, there weren't podcasts. Uh, Podhammer wasn't out yet, and I just googled how to paint, and the website that the internet took me to was Cool Mini. So that was really focused on individual characters, and that, as a result, that was what I spent most of my time doing. However, we started with fantasy and did some more googling, and I came up with Helen Hammer, which took me to. Elon Hammer's forum, where I signed up to the Saucy, and Russ's guide was on it for how to dip Toon Kings. So, so this, this is obviously must be different because you said there weren't podcasts, but it's obviously podcasts. No, that that was um, so Later. when I when I uh, did the right. minying, there wasn't podcasts. Ah, um, uh, I see. Then Point Hammer came out, and then I'm not sure how, or it had come out, and I discovered it, and I'm not sure how far into that Helen Hammer appeared because it was the second, wasn't it? Yeah, I think what happened is when Podhammer went away. Or no, I think he started no. when Podhammer no, was still going, over. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, they definitely crossed over. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was, I had been painting single miniatures and moved on to armies and found, uh, the Warhammer forum and, uh, the Heel and Hammer forum and started talking to people there who were painting armies about painting. So the type of thing that I was aiming at changed and all I wanted to do was actually have more than one dude painted. This is how I basically got talking to you, wasn't it? Through Heathen Hammer Forum? Entirely, yeah. So Russ had a dipping guide on there, which is a massive influence on the way how I paint today. So if you look at the way how I paint, it's more and more it's becoming its own thing now, but basically it's a result of Russ's dipping guide, because um, as we'll come to, all I did is like, I just dipped shit straight for six months. Um, uh, Tom Woods, uh, who on the internet goes by Dreadboy, he did a Thundertusk painting guide and another, like, the fastest high-end painter I've ever known, uh, James Griffiths, who is the owner of Infamy Miniatures, uh, whose Kickstarter people might know of and products you might know of. Um, the way that those two guides and James is painting, because I, I bugged him on, on the internet and asked him how he did what he did, uh, the things that they push, basically my painting ended up just being like, uh, like a mix of all of those. So the, f- the first guide that really changed how I did things was Russ's dipping guide. And as a result, I dropped painting individual miniatures and started picking up bigger things, um, physically bigger and, Essentially, I spray undercoated, uh, detailed, and then dipped stuff for six months straight. Uh, following having read that and spoke to Russ, so I tried to do my Warriors Army. It came out all right. Um, my sculpting was quite good. My sculpting was definitely better than my painting at that stage. Um, but I read the guide and I thought, screw it, I'm going to take things back a few steps, stop trying to do fancy stuff, and just try and solidify what I'm doing. So this is probably the first point where I took a um, a more critical look at myself, probably due to the forums and speaking to people like Russ, and thought, actually, no, I need to refine what I'm doing and just nail the basics. 
looks more. So I painted uh, <laughs> I painted a lot of stuff red because the blood eggs had just come out, and I for eBay I painted up three Furioso dreadnoughts, and all of them were sprayed and dipped. And it was about this time, uh, Storm of Magic was coming out, uh, the Blood Angels had just come out. It was about this time that I started thinking of sequencing, because if you're painting for selling, you, well, you've got to be efficient anyway, generally mm. speaking, otherwise you're wasting your time. But if you are doing it for making money, then there's even more of an emphasis on it. So dipping was a fantastic way to do that. And for all the reasons I talked about, uh, the base coat wash, base coat highlight technique being good, dipping is perfect because like the absolute essentials in painting which we covered on the last mini episode once you've got a flat base coat like everything else is icing on the cake and you can't put dip over anything but a flat base coat because it instantly looks shit it looks awful yeah. and what was really weird about that dipping guide I hadn't actually dipped a model until I did that guide because <laughs> what I what I did is I did a bit of research, asked about because it basically I wanted to experiment with dip. Yep. And then what I did was document my experiment, and then I I basically just went I learned a few things doing it, and I just posted it up, and that was basically those Tomb Kings models I did. That was an experiment because I wanted to use it on an army, but I didn't want to just go straight in. I needed to understand it, so. So, and if I'm if I'm correct, was it an old army that you wanted to revitalise? Um, the those particular models were part of an old Tomb King army I had. Yeah. And what I wanted to do was add to the old Tomb King army. When basically that old Tomb King army, basically that was when I learned highlighting. So what I did was I base coated everything, washed it, reapplied the base coat, and then I I did highlighting by mixing white into it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. I wanted to add some stuff to it to a tournament quickly, but I wanted to make it look so similar to what I had. Yes. So I wanted to use dip to replicate a similar look to that. And basically what I did is, is rather than do base coat, um, wash, base coat, highlight, I did base coat, highlight, dip, reapply highlight if needed, if needed. Um, and it come out pretty well, but I wanted to try and get them on the table quickly because I didn't want to spend ages doing that old inefficient way on more models because my painting had come along in other ways, and I was like, well, I don't really want to go back and paint like in an inefficient way. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's dipping's amazing. Like the uh, the concept of using a lighter base coat than you intend to. Um, and then washing it, which instantly gives you more depth than using a, a darker one and then highlighting it because you, you get more shades. You can get, um, so you take a, a mid-tone base coat, you dip it, and then you highlight it. You've got four different shades of color in there. So you've got your base coat, uh, you've got the shaded base coat from the dip, base coat again, and then highlight. Um, it's a really, really efficient way to do things, and it definitely... It looks, dipping is a brilliant technique, and it looks really good for the time you've put in if you do it right. If you don't, it just looks straight up awful. Yeah. And it's very, very apparent looking at your models, even as a as a novice painter, 
where you've gone wrong because it'll be stuff like um, your base coat wasn't good enough or you paid outside the lines before the dip and now you have to fix it or something like that. So I just dipped models. Uh, I dipped the Storm of Magic scenery. I dipped a couple of an Arachnorocks. Um, and all I was doing was base coat, details, maybe a highlight, and then dip. Um, and I learned a lot doing that. My basing at this stage uh, of the models, like the actual bases they were on, not base coating, was still a little bit lackluster. Uh, that was something I hadn't picked up yet, really. Uh, but in this time period, and because I was painting scenery, uh, was when I started using dry brushing more. And I'm actually dry brushing well uh, for the first time around here. So the, what was the, um, is it the Eternity Stairs, the Storm of Magic scenery? Yeah, I think so. Is that the one that's got yeah, like the so, little, like, the, the sort of the, the, like the Wraith guys at the side of it and, uh, yeah, and it's got a, like, a, a, a dial thing on top. I just yep. want to link. I know the um, one, yeah. So, so this'll, there'll be a picture of two pieces of Storm and Magic scenery in, uh, in the description. Uh, one of them is just dipped, and you can see the streaks on it. It's the skull, skull throne thing. Um, you can actually see the streaks running down. Uh, so if that was dry brushed, it would have looked a lot better. And then the next one was when I had, dipped and dry brushed and this was probably uh, the first time when I'd hadn't just used a technique on the model mm. so I hadn't just base coat dipped I'd base coated then dry brushed then dipped which doesn't sound like a, a massively big deal but using things hand in hand and having techniques cooperating with each other um, it's it's a really important part of painting. Um, so I, yeah, I, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, I think use that combination of techniques together where you, you start to combine things and you start to build up a, a methodology, methodology and, and also to realize that you don't have to paint every part of the model in exactly yeah, the same way. Exactly. So rather than going, well, the whole model, I'm going to base coat dip. You, you know, I mean, take a dip out the side of it because it's sort of a different technique. But if, if you basically replace dip with what colored wash, yeah. you can say, well, I can wash these bits of the model and I can dry brush fur, but I'm not going to dry brush the, the power armor because it's, <laughs> it's flat panels and it's going to look shit. So I'm going to use line highlight or whatever. So you, you, it's when you learn that, well, I've got, I've got five or six techniques in my arsenal and I'm going to put multiples in different places on the same model. Then you start to realise that that's how you you start to do a piece. Yeah, so actually planning and knowing to start looking at a model and knowing in your head which bits you'll do where, and maybe doubling up on some techniques. So you might dry brush one area and then plan to wash it and do a highlight and use three techniques in the same area rather than like this area is being dry brushed, this one is being it's a metallic, so it'll be metallic then washed. Um, using multiple things in the same areas and uh, dipping again I'm going to go back to this a lot because it taught me how to paint but you have to know sequencing with dipping because it is nothing but a sequence and that was I think that was really helpful for me in the stuff we're going to come to soon uh, airbrushing, everything uh, where you're approaching models in a specific order is a really important part of painting um, so one of the key things is 
doing the least controllable technique first and then working the other way. So yeah, something people may remember from White Dwarfs is uh, pitting faces uh, pit first inside, outside last. Um, so mm -hmm. it's like foil spelt wrong. Um, <laughs> you uh, you paint areas like faces, uh, and then you work your way outwards towards the most prominent parts of the model. And that means any mistakes you make, in theory, they should be on a bit you've not painted yet. So uh, if we're going really old school, you prime your model uh, black, uh, and then you like you base coat your the face brown and you could do that messily and it wouldn't matter if it got in the hood or the helmet or whatever because you hadn't painted the hood or the helmet yet you painted the face and the difficult details and then you worked way outwards and if you made a mess of uh if you like you were undercoating the cloak on it and it got on the weapon it didn't matter because the weapon wasn't painted so sequencing like that with a messiest technique first is really helpful that goes for dry brushing as well uh it definitely goes for airbrushing which we'll touch on later um, so if you if you're painting a plague bearer, you don't worry about the weapon until the very last stage because that's <clears> actually painted with a brush rather than an airbrush or a wash brush or a dry brush. Um, yeah, so you basically you do the the biggest area, but also like for example, what's good as well when you're painting. So when you say like you say an old school painting over a black undercoat, say you've got like a Chaos Marauder and he's got a Conan esque helmet on. You paint the skin around the face, like the eyes and the nose and that, and, and that oil spill over onto the helmet. And then you um, wash that and you highlight it. And then, then you paint the helmet, say, black or silver, whatever. And what you've done there is you've actually... Because if you tried to do it the other way around, you, would, you would get... You wouldn't be able to really paint the face properly because you'd be worried about getting paint on the helmet that you've already done. You'd be doing what Russ did with the eyes on his very first miniature. Paint the entire yeah. thing blue. Oh no, I need red eyes. And so you just mash it all over the sockets. And and when, as well, when you get a little bit more experienced, if you've done like a base, you could put a base coat down on the helmet, then paint the face, and then just touch the base coat up before you do. And I do it with eyes quite a lot. So if I'm painting eyes, like I'm painting a face, I will undercoat the eyes halfway through doing the face so rather than when I'm start doing all the glazes and all the rest of it that's a very hard thing to touch up because you can't you, you're, you've basically got five or six stages you can't really touch that up so you, you want to basically get the eyes black lined and white and with the white bit in the middle whatever you're doing or red red base coat whatever you, you choose to do you might have to touch up afterwards but the thing is you, you can't always if you slip with that colour onto the face but actually being able to repaint that bit of the skin that you've spent ages on is, is not it's an not easy way, and it ruins the whole technique. Yeah. As an example, that was when I painted Vlad, um, and I I did a very, very extensive skin paint job on him, um, and then I I had a bit of a mishap with the eye, and then I had to basically try and re recreate, the, the, recreate the technique, and, and it, it was okay, but it never was quite as good as it was. I, only I know that because I, you know, I'm the only one that saw it at that point. But it still bothers me. Um, we all know now. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> now we, when we see it next, we're like, oh, yeah. Sign, square bases. So on the subject of Vlad, uh, and it's something I've touched on. Uh, I was just thinking how Vlad's such an awesome model, but that is an issue. Uh, picking the right models for the technique you're trying to learn, if you are trying to learn a technique, 
is a really key thing. And that's something that takes a lot longer to learn than, or I just didn't realize for years. So while I was painting at this stage, I was still trying to paint everything a very similar way, pretty much. And I wasn't picking the right model for the technique. Uh, I'm not sure if that's something that you guys have had. Uh, a really good recent example for me is um, Prince Alfran, the guy I used as my mm-hmm. lore master for my high elf. That model is how old now? Like five, six years? Come out of Island of Blood, didn't it? It was, yeah, so it was a metal one when it came out, and now it's fine cast. Uh, I did my NMM job on him, and that is a model that is just made for painters. Like Everything about it is perfect. The, it's really well defined. It's detailed, but it helps you with its detail. The cloak is beautiful. I painted that, and then I picked up uh, Araloth, the wood elf model, and tried to paint him in the same way he was going to be my standard bearer. And despite the fact it's a model that's half a decade more modern and it's in plastic, it's just not as well designed for painting in the same way. It's a much more difficult model to paint well, especially in non-metallic metal because of a couple of things like the armor has uh, little indented swirls in it, yeah, which are a fucking nightmare. They're awful. Um, uh, the cloak is there's just something about it. It's it's not as well designed at all that makes it, as a painter, a much more difficult thing to do a good job on. And as a result, this model will take twice as long to achieve a paint job that is, it might not even be as good as the other one. So when you are doing a technique, sometimes things just don't work because you've chosen the wrong model. Um, yeah, or, or the fact that there's details on that model that, that will affect your technique because the problem, the thing is that I painted that Prince Alfred as my vampire and what I find with him he's detailed but simple perfect yeah so you've got plenty of flat crisp edges which is perfect for like non-metallic metal line highlighting blending on the cloak or on the yes. panels but when you've got armour that's very busy that's really hard to blend because there isn't a big area to blend in and actually, on a bit of a tangent, this is part of the design ethos behind the Infinity Range redesign. And what they've said is they've openly said they've, on the newer, newest sort of style, they've increased surface area on, on detail to allow people to paint that, that detail and to get a good contrast or a good blend. Because the problem is when you've got lots of small detail, it's almost impossible to do a, a complicated transition on it because there isn't enough surface. No, but conversely, that's really good for base coat wash and line highlight. For sure. So it takes it takes time, and sometimes you'll pick up something and it'll just be frustrating because of that. Um, I think a good example is so I was weirded out by uh, Alfran and Araloth because the more modern wasn't model wasn't easier but generally speaking the more modern plastics are a lot easier than a last generation decade old metallic equivalent so if you've got old orcs and goblins models the metals they're just harder to go do a good job on because they were sculpted to look like a cool looking model but this modern attitude of actually making models easier to be painted that russ was talking about with infinity that didn't really exist 
Uh, you no. just made something that looked awesome, and if it turned out it was good to paint, it turned out it was good to paint. Uh, now what, CAD, what you've got to remember as well is these old models, when they were designed and sculpted, you go back to like 1980s on some of them, yeah. there weren't things like you know these new style washes or these new textured paints or dip or all these mediums and techniques and things you've got now which you put down a flat coat which you know basically all they do is you go you've got a really nice detailed flawless sculpt so you just use this tinting washing sort of the like almost like glaze liquid water-based dips the new gw washes you just basically go well, you put that on and it just the detail is there and the model's design that it just you don't need to do much else it's yes yeah. there they will reward you in proportion to the amount of time you put into them, modern models. Generally speaking, we're talking about GW here because everyone else is decades behind them and yeah, making not stuff even. that is in comparison shit. Like, I mean, as awesome as Night Model stuff is, you, you try and paint one of their metal models as well as a recent GW character kit, and um, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about here. Modern models, you can do a fast job on them <clears> and get a really good result considering the time you've put in, or you can spend forever on them, and they'll help you out with that, and you'll get something brilliant. Uh, older stuff, there's this massive gap in the middle where you do a fast job. Like I can remember this with a uh, Orc and Goblin uh, bolt thrower. 35-point model that took about 10 hours. <laughs> um, so that model, if you spent 30 minutes doing a quick job on it, it would look all right. And then there's this massive gap in the middle of like 8 hours where it just looks shit until I got to like literally double figures, like 10, 12 hours, and I did all the details and painstakingly blacklined it where it looked really good. Um, yeah. But that smooth transition just doesn't exist with older models. So if you're trying to learn a technique a lot of the time, don't do not do it on some shitty old thing from your bits box that's two decades old and is in a flat monopose um, with pitting all over the cloak because that's not very helpful. Yeah, because you're not going to get a decent blend on a surface that isn't smooth. No, well, um, if, you're using, if you're using washes that are made for picking out texture, if your texture's shit, they're going to pick out shit. I mean, you can fix those models with stuff like resin washes and things, but it, it's sometimes it's only so far you want to go with polishing a part of shit, and that's yeah. why I don't collect Mantic models. <laughs> um, <but> anyway. <laughs> okay, so on that note, um, tangent number four, to return to uh, paint engineering. So we just covered multiple techniques in my Storm Magic stuff. Um, it was at this point where I bought my airbrush. So I was commissioned painting, and I would have bought it a lot earlier if it wasn't for a load of shit from people that don't know what they're talking about on the internet, saying that they're a faff and they're hard to clean, and that they're they're a nightmare. Um, I still was, find it faffy. But... You well, that. here's the thing. No, if you have a shit 20 quid airbrush, it doesn't clean very well. Yeah. yeah I, I, I just find if you have a crap one, it doesn't clean very well. Yeah, that's uh, not not targeted at Rust, but in general, if you've bought a 20-piece piece of crap off eBay, of course dilution's going to be more difficult, and it's going to be rougher inside, and cleaning's going to be worse, and the action won't be as smooth, because you've bought a, a rip-off of probably an water or a, a hardened steam back or something like that. Um, so I, I got my airbrush here. And so why I, did you buy an airbrush? So, so what made you go out and buy it? What was the thing that made you go, I want to do that? On a blunt level, people were asking me to paint Space Marines. 
So, as a commission painter? <laughs> yes. Um, I didn't want to paint them, but people were asking for them. And I knew that the moment someone said, I want you to paint me Dark Angels, and I had to try and get Dark Angels green to cover from a brush brush uh, on a model, I was going to have a nightmare unless I could find an appropriately coloured spray from... Uh, this was at the stage when army paint sprays weren't... They were they were getting better, but mm. they had been wobbly at the beginning. So it would have been going to Halfords to find like a Honda Green that was as close to Dark Angels Green as I can I, um, I did actually spray the Dark Angels Army with a Halfords Green spray. Yep. Um, and I bought two colours, and I sprayed one and then one over the top of it as a dust. Yep. And it just didn't look as good. Yeah. So I was... I was trying, people were asking me to, I think it was, uh, what are the, Sinchi? Thousand Suns. That one, thank you. My 40k knowledge is non-existent. So people had asked me to paint Thousand Suns in a bright blue colour, and I just, it wasn't gonna be an easy, an easy job, or a job that I could do efficiently and therefore earn a good wage. Yeah, so, and that's the thing about when you're doing commission work, is you want it to be an efficient job, so you can actually get paid a reasonable amount of money for the time you put into it. Exactly. So I forked out, I got a really good compressor, and then after reading a lot and going into a local shop where they had some airbrushes, I got a brush that was... Um, the big thing about my brush, and it, this is the same brush I use now. It's five years old. Um, it's just a tank. It's no fuss. It will run any paint you want in the world through it. It's got a very wide nozzle. It's got a point five. Generally speaking, people work with narrow nozzles and that. Um, and I got it thinking, well, I can get one that's just good for base coats. And um, if it only ever allows me to put down custom base coats as in a custom color uh, very quickly and is easy to clean and is never breaks, then that's fine. Um, it turned out it was fine for everything else in the world that I wanted it for. But that's what I got it for at the time. So the first thing I painted with that was an Arachnaruk. Um, I had been, I'd been using spray cans from above, um, in a way that was kind of close to airbrushing. Um, so, uh, guys, I just put a link to the yeah. rock in Skype there. Um, and that'll be in the show notes as well. Um, I was using spray cans before this one. I painted two Arachnorocks prior to it, um, using Halford's Red, uh, a black base coat white from above, this was all with spray cans, so this is three stages of spray cans, um, primed it black, hit it with white from above, and then sprayed it with red from above um, with spray cans. And essentially I was doing so many stages with cans to try and do what I'd be doing with the airbrush, even though spraying from cans is really quick, uh, with drying times it would have actually just been faster to be airbrushing. So I got my airbrush, and the first thing I airbrushed well, as in having more than one colour in it, not just a flat base coat, uh, actually using it for something extra, was uh, was this Arachnorok. And it was a big, forgiving model. It had awesome texture. The model's incredible anyway. Um, hmm. It's just it's one of the best. It's models. actually got the goblins on the back. Like yeah. Me. I know. It's, uh, I don't think I've ever seen one with the goblins on the back. <laughs> it's one of the uh, the best EW models, uh, monsters that they've made. It really yeah. stands up to the test of time. It's awesome. It looks it looks horrible, and like a spider. So they do a good job of copying nature. Um, I got the airbrush, and that was the first time I'd used the multicolored um, 
coat on it. I'd also angled a bit, so it's carapace at the back. I'd uh, I'd not airbrushed straight onto it. I'd airbrushed at an angle, so the overhangs kind of shaded themselves. Um, if people look at the picture, that would be a bit more obvious. Um, uh, you can obviously see where you sprayed the... It's got like a white, creamy body. body. Yeah. Did you brush paint that afterwards, or did you just spray the bit separately and glue it together? Yeah, I brush painted that one afterwards because I couldn't work out to do how to do it with an airbrush at the time. Um, did you glue the model together first? Then? Yes, I. Oh, gaps on it, mate. I don't know. Look at that carapace. I know. I was like, uh, gaps. Where's your gaps. It gets hidden by the goblins. It's, it's true. It does. Um, yeah, this. Um, it was a. It was quite like I struggled doing this, but I was really pleased with the end result. Uh, yeah. It's notable that looking at this model now, it's just screaming out to be washed, uh, and we'll, we'll come into that. And it's, it's a notable. I think trend. that's a big thing about airbrushing is that actually is to then wash and reapply a highlight. Actually, it, it it basically goes back to the do a good base coat wash and highlight, and yeah. and, and literally you just your base coat is gradual rather than flat. Yeah. yeah, and it's really things, smooth. As yeah, well. things don't change that much. Um, so this is—I'd got the airbrush, and because I was still learning it, I hadn't quite tweaked that. Just because I had the airbrush, like I was leaving other techniques behind. Yeah. Um, Almost trying so, to do too much with the airbrush and not using the other tool techniques in your arsenal. Oh yeah, for sure, and that—that that is a consistent thing. Um, People often think that the moment you get an airbrush, you're barely ever going to pick up a normal brush again. That may be the case on a Plague Bearer or a Tyranid Harpy or something like that. But generally speaking, it's marrying, to be blunt, airbrushing, dry brushing and washing together with blending if you're finishing on a high-end model that makes things look good. So uh, I was still dry brushing... um, and I was getting a lot better at it. So there's a Garden of more that's going to be linked. Um, that is a good example of that. Um, but that was... So the Garden of more I just didn't use the airbrush apart from the base coat and went back to dry brushing because I hadn't got it in my head that they were techniques you could use together yet. Um, also, my basing was still... Like, I hadn't learned basing yet. It was, it's coming soon. But Basing's I, a big thing as well. Yeah, um, I still didn't understand. Um, I wasn't doing my base rooms black, which is sacrilege, and I wasn't making them 3D. I was putting a couple of rocks on, but I wasn't I wasn't building them up and making them interesting. I'm making yeah. bases right now. <laughs> it's like it's such a fundamental of of how you should do things, but um, yeah, I hadn't I hadn't quite quite put that together, and that's another thing. So I was where people end up with with their painting finally a lot of the time it's when you realise that everything works at once and so I was I, my Garden of more I just dry brushed it looked really good because it's the Garden of more and it's one of the best scenery kits GW have ever made and it's made for dry brushing but I could have saved a shit ton of time if I'd used the airbrush more um, I think the only place I used it was on the turquoise on the roofs there and that was it and everything was dry brushed um there's also some... Okay, so we've got a couple of examples of me not knowing... Like, I hadn't settled with airbrushing yet, so uh, the next two things that are going to be linked are a chimera and a stonehorn, which both look dry, in my opinion, and 
something looking dry is um, it's, it's a matter of opinion, but in my mind, it's the hallmark of bad airbrushing. Certain things it's are so like powdery look, isn't it? Yeah, if you've got a tank in a desert, that can look dry, but like stuff looking a bit odd and flatter and shitter than it should, looking airbrushed in the like OK magazine, flawless skin complexion, but doesn't look like a human sense. Um, For me, it just makes it look like a toy. Yeah. Does that? I know it is a toy. Yeah. But it's not. It, it just makes things look Completely like those. Sense. Those like you know those like plastic toys you bought when you were a kid kind of thing you know exactly because they're, they're, they're just like airbrushed in a factory yeah exactly but it just looks that it's just got that look to it it doesn't have the it's the depth it doesn't yeah. have that definition it's I mean these looking at these models just now, need all wash don't they yeah like the the grey wings on the Chimera I'm talking about this beautiful texture on the uh, the Storm Magic Chimera wings I could have put one black purple wash over these wings and the model would have got twice as good instantly but and the skin I, was, I mean the yeah. skin you just one one black purple wash on that skin yeah before you did any dry brush or picking out and it it would look fantastic exactly but it still looks I, good but it's not yeah it's definitely not there and now that absolutely jumps out to me instantly um it's uh yeah well, it's just I wasn't quite yeah that and the the basing also, I think that exaggerates it a bit because you've got this really flat base and then this kid's toy and it makes it look more like a toy. Um, so I was I was having these inconsistent results. Uh, there's uh, I painted a stone horn at the time. Uh, there's that chimera and looking back on them now, they uh, they're screaming out as having mistakes, but I was I was getting there. Um, so we've covered my influences from <coughs> from Russ and his painting guide. Um, and there's two more that I mentioned at the start of the show that uh, haven't come into play yet in how I paint. So James Griffiths, um, I will find a link of one of his things to pop up. Um, he is an incredibly fast painter, and he's probably, in terms of bare-knuckle efficiency and practical application of highlights and use of washes and stuff like that, he is probably the best painter I've uh, I've ever met in person. So he and Tom Woods both painted a Thunder Tusk about the same time, I want to say, and Tom did a tutorial and James did his and then I just bugged him for, for advice on how he'd done his. Uh, so I was commissioned painting at the time. I was obsessed with efficiency, and both of these were just perfect examples of how to use paint in an efficient way fast to achieve really good results. Um, I return particular with um, James uh, James's Thunder Tusk, the very bottom of the montage of his uh, of his painting. I return to probably once every two months and just sit and look at that. Is something that I would love to be able to do as a painter because his uh, basically he's done he's pre-shaded with an airbrush, he's put paint into his washes, um, which was something I got from him and I'd never done until he suggested it, which seems really stupid now. But again, in my head, a wash was just a wash. Like, why would you put paint in a wash? Because washes are washes. Um, I'd never used glaze medium or mixed a custom wash at this stage either. I just because I learned from dipping, and with dipping you just put one color down. So 
if I wanted to wash something red, I'd just wash it red. And if I wanted it to be ready green, I'd wash it red, then green. Um, and I, I might mix red and green washes together, but I definitely wouldn't put a paint in. James put paint in his washes and used it to really good effect. Um, it's a very stark, uh, what would you say about this, this way of painting rust? Cause I love it, but I know that it divides. What is this the, well. the, fun, the fun which test. one? The, um, the very, so it's, um, the, the one James Griffiths one. Yeah. So the very bottom picture is a really good example, um, of the skin on his ogres. Oh, okay. Um, so you're, you're talking I, about James Griffiths one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I do like it because it's got a dark look to it, but it's one of these things that looks good from two feet away. And then I think when you get I, close to it, you can see it's quite messy. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just like, for example, you can see where the ink's pulled. You can see yes. the, the highlights are blocky. They're not smoothed mm-hmm. out. You can see that there, there's like lots of dashes. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's still really, really nice because all the dashes and, and, and blocks of colour are in the right place, which is a, a big thing. But if you look at the back banner where you've got the moor, you can see the greeny turquoise he's used. Yes. You can see he's painted actual lines. Yes. It's not a wash, he's actually painted it on in lines. Um, so, which is fine, but I think, Perhaps could have done done this a little bit better. It almost—I don't know—I don't want to say it's unfinished. It's not, but it's just—it's really hard to really hard to sort of quantify. But it's almost like um, it's very quick and dirty. So for me, like the, the things that I'm not a big fan of, the leather straps. Yeah. Or the the, the but then. The, the sort of the it's black a seven hour model. Yeah, it's, it's like. But then, who look, spends when you look at the model? Who focuses on the the sort of the tusk that comes out the back of the saddle? Well, no one really. And it's sort of like things like to get the the blends on the horns. He's, he's obviously this is all done by brush. I am uh, by from what I can see. Um, is that obviously with an airbrush that that's a lot easier to get yeah. that smooth transition. Sure. But on this, what he's done is he's done stuff like, oh, I'll put blood on the horns to, to hide, yes. to, to make it look less obvious that the, the blends aren't quite as smooth as they are, or, uh, you know, and, but I, I do really like it. It's, it's really nice. You can, one of the things I like about this is I've got an issue with, um, people edge highlighting sections of muscle, um, mm. for example, on models. So, if you've got, uh, like you pick something really organic like a river troll or a savage orc and then you just draw around each part of it six pack with a highlight. Yeah, I hate it. Um, I hate that. that. So it looks stark. Six feet away, that looks awesome because you, your eyes can just see contrast. Games Workshop paint like this but with a, a ridiculous level of skill which is how they get away with it. Um, this model, it's got the stark highlights but they're just in the right place. So for me as a painter, six feet away, it looks awesome. Three feet away, it looks awesome. One foot away, I'm just jealous because I can't place highlights with this amount of skill. And I, I absolutely love the way this model is painted. So this, like, if you were to take, like, three shots that have influenced how I am as a painter, uh, this style, um, 
Ben Johnson's Storm it wasn't Storm of Magic scenery. It was uh the scenery that he still used now for tournaments. It was on the GW blog around this time as well. Yeah. He'd washed that and highlighted that. And that is a really good example of this type of thing as well. Um putting lines in the right places so they they look good from far away and then you get in and, and for me I'm just thinking like, wow, that's in the right place. You've not arbitrarily drawn round raised areas of mm muscles on an arm you've put it where it would be brighter so i love i love the way that james painted that and then looking at tom's tutorial he used uh pre-shading with spray cans uh he did airbrush but he's pre-shading with spray cans and he used washes in a way over an entire model that i'd never thought of before because i've been i've been dipping things um so he painted up an entire thunder tusk the, the tutorials on the Elm Games website is fantastic. It's one of my favorite tutorials ever. These two models, and they were the same model, which made something interesting about it. They were the reason why I started an ogre army. Because yeah, I saw I these. Think I, um, when I started doing mine, I looked at these as well. I think when I bought my airbrush, you showed me that, that guide as a good example. Yeah. Yeah, it's a brilliant, brilliant guide. Um, Tom's thing was he was he didn't paint much and when he did he wanted to get something finished so he just sat down and did it in one session. Uh, James was painting for commission so the fact that he managed that Thunder Tusk in seven hours is nothing short of a miracle and he's he's only got better at doing that type of thing now. But I started my Ogrami around that time and so the technique I pulled in was putting paint in my washes and my Ogrami with their turquoise trousers. Um, that's when I started using uh, the wash I used on them. I used fleshy washes all over their skin. And on their trousers, I pre-highlighted with the airbrush. So I did them all black and did it white from above, which was the technique that I pulled from Tom Wood's tutorial. And um, then I went through turquoise, uh, lower in, in the trousers with a bit of purple, up to turquoise with, I think it with rotting flesh mm. and goblin green at the top. So it's a really big variety and contrast in about three or four stages, um, which looked shit, and that would be where my like the trousers of that stage were comparable to my Chimera. But then, and crucially, I mixed uh, hawk turquoise with glaze medium and washed that all over the trousers on the ogres. And after that was dry, which took a long time because the wash was just neat glaze medium, um, they looked awesome. And that was like, if you can pick points in my trajectory as a painter that were really important, that is one of them. Not not because it's hawk turquoise, although I do love hawk turquoise. Um, <laughs> what really? But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you might have noticed. Um, but because I was marrying things together better, so that model had pre-shading. Um, it used the airbrush in a variety of ways, and. Um, then I went in there and I used glaze medium with the, one of the key colors from the entire army. I also painted the army using a color wheel, which I hadn't done before. And um, the army looked really cohesive as a result. And there weren't... It's probably the first thing I did where you can look at an army and say, well, your weak point is your skin pain or all the armor's bad. Or, like, there were things where it could be improved on, but there wasn't any one part of it letting it down. So it wasn't like, well, you should have washed that area after you airbrushed it, or, or, um, you really need to learn how to use skin tones, or, or something like that. Like, the army was really solid, and that was, that was the first good army I produced, which I painted 
all the way through the nightfall to get to Northern Warlords GT. Uh, I'm not sure which one that would have been. It's quite a while ago, um, but I won best painted at that. And that was my first best painted, which obviously was, uh, was something I was really proud of. Um, so we've got the, uh, the influences of Tom, James, and Russ covered there and like how they affected how I painted. So pretty much from this point onwards, um, I, I was getting closer to my own style, but I wasn't there. And the next really important thing is the fact that all I did for nine months after and around my ogre army, uh, was painted Necrons. That's just all I did. I was a commission <laughs> painter. I was full time and I didn't paint more than 10 other models that weren't a fucking robot. So you painted the most efficient, easy to paint RB with it's the filthiest yeah. <laughs> in the game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. literally. Exactly. Um, yeah. And it wasn't because I chose them. By God, I hated them by the end of it. Um, just what people wanted. In, yeah. Yeah, they just come out. So the, uh, the barge, um, the and, croissant. Yeah, the croissant. Oh man, I love that croissant. Um, they were, they, they were brilliant to paint and learn on, and also the infantry. So I got like, I, I, if you're given a job where, <coughs> sorry, you've got 50 or 60 really fucking boring infantry, and you have to give someone a competitive quote on their painting per head, you don't have any option other than to get really, really good at batch painting. Yeah. So it was around this time where I, again, I took a step back from high-end techniques, and I just concentrated on picks fast and getting them done well. Um, mm. Well, I think we've so, probably at a little good point is have a little break, and then we can come back and yep. go into that because uh, just to break the recording up a little bit. Yeah, um, that's all right. So we'll be back in in a second for you guys, uh, but maybe a few more minutes for us, uh, and then we'll carry on with Byron's jet. Okay, so we're back, and um, before we had a break, we were talking about um, Byron's Necrons and, and painting uh, lots of stuff the same very quickly. Um, yeah. <laughs> so if you want to just carry the, on with the your... The joy uh, of that scene. Yeah, come on, we love it. So it's, it's not very good for your sanity. Uh, we all know this, having done it, but um, I think my pinnacle was I sat down and I painted 50 Necron infantry to a high standard, in one fifteen-hour straight sitting, and that included everything apart from assemblies. So that was start to finish, uh, basing materials on um, airbrush stages, uh, wash stages, the lot. It was um, it was pretty grim, but mm. after having said earlier on, it's really important to if you're looking to improve your painting to think about painting as much as you do do the painting. On the flip side of that, once you've painted a model a hundred times, you don't have specifically to think about a very, it. yeah, specifically a very, very, very simple model, like a Necron, um, you do learn something by, I reckon there's a big gap in the middle and then once you, like, you achieve, have you seen the Futurama where Fry drinks a hundred coffees? No. Okay. Good story. Sorry, no. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not helpful. <laughs> definitely seen it. So, Fry drinks he gets 100 coffee vouchers and he gets more and more agitated until he has 100 coffees when he becomes like an angel um, and starts moving faster than the speed of light and saves people from a fire. Um, 
to reckon there's like this massive gap until you reach some point in repetition where suddenly you learn something new about a model. So I was painting all of these Necrons in different ways, but I was painting them in different colours, sorry, but I was painting them pretty much the same way. So they'd have glowy weapons of some description, which was on the airbrush, whether it was green or blue or red. Um, and they'd have their shoulder pads one colour. And then their armour would be metallic and it'd either be well, it would be washed lots of different colours, or it would be a dark, a dark silver or a light silver or whatever. Or I could uh, some of my shaded with pigments. It was all on the same model, so it all was the same shape. And I learned quite a lot by doing this. Um, around the time I was doing this, there's a Point Hammered episode that I listened to a couple of times. Um, I can't find it. I've tried to go back and get it, but Rog talked about producing a high-end army fast. He was talking about his Wood Elves, which if people haven't seen, are a beautiful army. And he's a really, really good painter as well. And um, him and Johnny on Point Hammer talked about the ways that Roger approached this army and, <clears throat> and how to get it to a good level fast. And I was I was really intent on getting my batch production to a, uh, a pretty solid level. Um, Post-Necron... I, well, still joined the Necrons. That was when I painted a load of new Necrons. And then my commission schedule was full because yeah. some people wanted several thousand point armies. So I started for Do you myself. find as well when you did a commission army, say you did like a Necron army and you put photos mm-hmm. up, you've got a load of people going, I want that. Yeah. yeah. So, so you, my, you end up my, recreating the same thing. Oh, for sure. And mine was mine was on the next level as well because there was a, there was a Necron army in White Dwarf uh, painted by Joe Tomer. It's a Polish name, and I'm going to abort- I'm going to make some abortion of it because I can't quite remember it. But it was a really beautifully done, uh, very simple but fast, effective Necron army where the panels were white that I copied for a Necron army that I did for a painting studio. I was given free reign and just said like, make these look good. And so I picked this because I hadn't tried it yet, and it looked really good. And quite a lot of other people now. Um, have, have gone and copied my scheme in the way that I did it. It's essentially uh, you spray the neck on silver. I use the only paint spray, which is brilliant, plate mail metal. Wash that black, uh, panels white, and then glow bits blue, and you can do whatever the hell you want with the basing because you've only got one colour on the model at that point. You've it's got not blue really going to clash with anything, is it? And how you do the basing. No, you can do whatever you want. You can do them grassy green meadows, lava, blood. It, it, like you've got free reign. You've got high contrast as well. Um, silver isn't a colour, black isn't, white isn't, so it's really, really good for that. And by accident, at that time, it's when I started appreciating more limited palettes as well, which is something I've moved more and more towards in the future. Um, That's kind of your speciality, these, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah, and it's something I've, well, for practical uses, like, I don't have a permanent hobby desk anymore, although in the living room, my desk is, is pretty much that it shouldn't be um like being able to get out a little box and i'm in a tiny box with 10 paints in it and one model um that's how i'm operating at the moment which i quite enjoy um it will change the moment i start doing armies again but uh i really like limited palettes and the necrons at the beginning of that the ogres i used a color wheel so i was specifically trying to keep towards certain things but they still had a lot of different paints used in them um i've i've actually narrowed like, if you go back three years, the amount of paints I've used has just lessened. Um, I don't mean colour 
others, but on each individual job, I just used less and less and less. Like even my Gracie, which was a, there was quite a lot on him. I doubt I used more than 20 different paints and washes combined. Um, I use, I use fuck loads of paint, like lots of different <laughs> on each, on the model or project. I just love, I love messing around with different colors. You do it, you do a lot of tints of color. Like one of the things yeah. I like about your paint is your blacks. They ain't black. They've got other stuff in them. You, you do a lot of pulling in a tiny amount of something to tint or accent, um, and that often changes emotionally how you feel about a model when you look at it. If your blacks aren't black, um, or if your everything lilts towards a certain way, like if it's Nurgle, it's all a bit greeny and pussy. Um, you use that a lot, don't you? Yeah, I, I, I don't know where that came from. Um, I think it's probably when I had that session with Adrian, who's the ex-heavy metal painter slash mongoose painter uh, guy that I went over his flat and saw his Euro-Militaire models that have won countless awards just like lying on their side gathering, gathering dust amongst the beer cans. Uh, and that's not even an exaggeration. Um, but he he talked about sort of... T- he did a... I was painting an Everblight, a ogre, ogrin, ogre, the, the sort of the big blue ogre things, um, skin. And he showed me like using like blues and purples on a on a grey skin and stuff and that's kind of where I got exposed to it but I didn't really adopt it until later and really it's something that recently I've been doing a lot more of it's kind of one of the, the newer things that I do with my paint but yeah it, I do really like tinting well, it's, it's really bizarre at the moment do you know you showed me that they were talking about that ogre earlier the, the Thunder Tusk yeah going on a bit of a tangent here I'm looking at the new Blood Reaver pictures on the Jidu website and they look mm-hmm. like they've been painted by that guy <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's crazy. Um but there's like um there's quite a lot of like tinting going on on these and mm-hmm. very very fine sort of line highlights just in the exactly the right place. Um but anyway, it's a bit of a tangent, but I'll show you a picture of that later. Definitely. Um so well to tangent your tangent, um one thing I've found is that Sometimes it takes a really long time for something really important for my painting to sink in. So you spoke about your lesson with Adrian then and coming back to it. Um, like you, you learn some stuff initially and then I think you kind of accidentally happen upon it and start thinking about it. And it, so I had a, I had a non-metallic metal lesson with, uh, Tommy from Golem Studios, who is yeah. an absolutely incredible painter by all accounts. And the lesson was really good. I got better at NMM in the lesson. But it wasn't until about a year later when some of the stuff he'd said, uh, like when I talked about highlights and shadows before and the amount and the proportion of the model that is highlight and shadow, that's something he mentioned, uh, pushing paint, pushing it, not pulling it with your brush, not following the lines of the model, placing it where you want and things like that. So pushing paint around until it looks right. Yeah, <laughs> your favourite. <laughs> um, it took. Did you find with Adrian that it took like you you sat down with him and learnt some stuff, and then a year later you thought about that stuff more, and you actually did from it. I I had a bit of a thing where I basically I was trying to paint a warrior army, and I sat down with Adrian and he showed me how he does his painting, and I was just like I gave it a go on a model, and I was like this just is so impractical for an army. And I yes. bastardized it. Then I painted my Black Warriors. Um, then I had a period in time where I don't know, but it is very similar to like a Eureka moment. When you start thinking about, 
Um, okay, so I some of the things that I saw Adrian do that I dismissed or just thought that's a bit too much, I've start, started slowly starting to work in when I've started to understand more. Um, it's really hard to explain, but yeah, because he he interesting enough he doesn't use washes, he only uses finned paint. Yes. Um, but I like you were saying about mixing washes uh, paint with washes. That's something that I do rather than just straight washes all the time, and actually yeah. mixing my shades to fit more in the palette of what I'm doing, which is basically the key yes. point I learned from Adrian was one. How he, um, I wouldn't call it blend, I wouldn't call it like wet blended, but how he blends. So he mm-hmm. builds up opacity. And also how he tints shades into the colour palette he wants rather than using pre-packaged shades out of the pot. So taking a very active step towards promoting coherency. Yeah, so he, he spends together. a lot of time thinking about his colour palette and the effects that the, the colours he's using in washes and highlights has on the overall effect. Yeah. That, to be honest, is something that is not immediately apparent, but then as you use, as I plated more and more and more, I learned myself, um, sort of with the little, and then I would learn something and I would remember back and go, ah, I see why he d- did that then, or, you know, uh, it's, it's like learning that, you know, you can use green on red, oh, so like you've got like really rich gold you can put green a greeny tint on it and it will pull all the, the the sort of the rich ready gold color out and dull it right down um stuff like that um just thinking about things on a higher level yeah and it just do you reckon you weren't quite ready for it when you had the lesson until you'd played and learned and i think it's like most things like the lesson happened upon i wouldn't say the lesson it was like I got shown all that in the lesson and then it, it clicked later. It was more that as I learnt things, I could remember back to certain things he said or done. Yeah. And I could say, well, I'm not doing it the same way, but I'm achieving that thing. I don't know, very hard to explain. But it wasn't it like is. he said to me, you want to do this, 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 and this, and this. And I just didn't take it in. And then later on I went, oh, yeah, you told me that. It's yeah. not that, it's the fact that it's almost like he showed me how he painted a model. I went, okay, I took some of it on, and then I learnt my own way how to do other things, but then I could think back to how he paints and think, oh, I can see a similarity there. Yeah. How much of that is down to him doing it and then me kind of being conscious of it but not adopting it, and then later on finding my own way to adopt the same thing? I, I don't know. It's yes. The human brain's weird. Um, I I don't know. Um, but if you hadn't had the lesson, who knows what you wouldn't have learned? Maybe. Maybe I wouldn't have done it, and maybe. But we we should never know. I mean, you know, I'm at the point where I'm at through experience and through being taught and through experimenting, and you don't know, you know, how much is due to what. Really, it's very hard to quantify in that respect. I think. One thing I would say is. so we've like on my show notes for where we are painting now. I've drawn a big line and it says current stage of painting begins, which is the stage I feel I'm at now. Which is one where um, I've I've circled around painting to learn. So I've always wanted to improve, but specifically these days, and it, it started 
quite a bit for before my high elves actually probably it was with the demons of chaos i was i was more confident i was at a point where i knew what i was doing but everything i did i wanted to just learn and get better like is the this, this is it. this is the moment really i had a very similar moment to this where you you you've got a, a solid grounding of your painting techniques and then i found what i did is i just churned loads of shit out and i don't mean like it was shit. I just mean I just painted everything using the same techniques. I did like four or five armies. Yep. And then I got to a point where I'm like, why? I started to question what I was doing and going, yep. actually, I want to paint this, but I don't want to do the same. I want to do something different. And then, then like, I, I got to a point where, and that first step of that painting to learn, like you just said, was when I had that lesson with Adrian and it was learning blending. Mm-hmm because I wanted to push myself. But before I'd done that, I'd done my Tomb King army, my Skaven army, I'd done a Dwarf army, I'd done a... Yeah, that was dirty. I don't, don't tell people I did Dwarfs. I did... Um, I, you know, I did, I, did some other, I did some Lord of the Rings figures, I did a 40k army, all done similar way, similar colour palettes, did a Vampire army. They were good, don't get me wrong, they were all highlighted, shaded, inked, washed, did slightly different basing. They were all quite good standard, but they weren't pushing me. Yeah, and I think I this is what the point you got to. And your what was your epiphany moment then? Was it this? Um, it was so. It was kind of like I had. I was painting a. It's probably over ten thousand points in Ekrans. I had a long term commission for someone and some other stuff on the side that was solid. Also, I'd just started Element at the time, and mm. I wasn't getting as much time to paint stuff that I chose myself. As I, as I wanted, and I just thought like, well, what I do, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and do something different and learn from, or I'm, if I'm not trying to do something different, I'll try and do something better. Um, and I also started thinking about, um, so it, basically, this is when I started my demons, is, is the long yeah. and short of it. And the demons, I think you picked out on them in the last show, is like they're an example of my style. Of how I do things, um, so they are my demons. Are for me. If you look at the way that I paint a plague bearer, distilled and refined, in a nutshell, that is the best example of how I paint as a painter now, uh, on a fast army scale. Like uh, as a high end individual model, you could pick one of my fancy high elf ones or something. Yeah. Um, but using transparency and pulling everything together, I was doing that, and I just thought I want to get better at painting and every single unit I paint, individual figure I paint, like weapon I paint, um, I just want to try and improve or learn. Yeah. And I think it's probably a lot of the realization as well is because I was getting less time to paint the stuff that I chose myself, I wanted to enjoy it. And part of enjoyment for me is realizing that really it's the journey that matters and then the destination, like, yeah. fuck it, you're just, you're just going to move on to the next thing anyway. You're a human. Um, we were in like the white man's guilt hobby where you're either not spending enough time hobbying or the time you spent hobbying you've not spent well enough. So you, you are just gonna... <laughs> That's a great way to put it. <laughs> so... I think I was telling you exactly how guilty I was feeling, wasn't I, about not painting anything at the moment. Yeah, exactly. So you are just going to get something, and as nice it looks in the cabinet, you can be proud of it or whatever, you are pretty much just going to fuck it and then move on to the next thing. So hand in hand with that, you may as well enjoy the entire process of it. So... For me, enjoying You're basically saying that we need to treat our models like we, Les treats his women. <laughs> Just fuck it and move on to the next thing. 
Everyone's <laughs> information lies his way on his one year anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Poor Jane. Yeah. No. Poor Les. He's gonna. He doesn't. He's not gonna know about this until he listens. I know. It's so a brilliant. Thing. This is the great thing about. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I like. I. I'm not sure for you. Like, uh, it was a mix of those things happened around the same time. So just before I started my demons, um, I think I'd painted the blood letters, which um, are probably the worst looking unit out of them out of my the units of infantry and the demon. Oh, yeah, the first unit I did, um, and some point through them, I realised that I should be taking a different approach and have a little think. And it was then that I realised, or I came to this realisation, was was that I wanted to enjoy what I was doing, and for me, enjoyment is linked with improving a lot of the time and getting a good result. So I decided I wanted to improve in everything I did, and whether by coincidence or otherwise, this was when I started doing the plague bearers, and the plague bearers to me. I didn't follow any guides. I picked a couple of paints, and I like like a lot of hobby things. There's luck is luck is a lot to do with it. So I started painting it green, and then I washed it purple. I've never done green and purple before, and they shouldn't look as good together as they do. But they did look good, and the plate yeah. bearers are a brilliant kit for airbrushing. So I had just done my ogres, and I got this these well, beautiful is an ironic word to use them, but the texture on them is they are beautiful. They they are. I mean, I know that they're, they're disgusting and plaguey, but in a beautiful way. Yeah, for sure. They are as a, as a model. They are just exquisitely textured. But it's probably one of the best ways to describe it. Um, they That's how I wash... describe myself. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So they wash. They wash beautifully. Um, they dry brush fantastically and they airbrush fantastically, and that's all because of their texture. Yeah, so they are also. Awesome. They were. I I happened on a realization with them when I was painting them. I sat down. I painted twenty five plague bearers in twelve hours, start to finish, and I took pictures. That was including me taking pictures as I went. So I was doing them. I thought I'd do a guide, kind of like you were dipping. I thought I'll document this because I was kind of planning on going on a bit of a self discovery journey anyway. So I thought I might I might find something interesting, and um. The way I painted the plague bearers was with glaze medium. Like that was, I probably should have mentioned this at some stage, but like glaze medium, I touched on with the ogres, and then with the demons, that's where it became like a fundamental part of what I do in a lot of things that I paint, especially if I'm painting fast. <clears throat> so I was intending on selling the demons. So I still wanted to paint them fast. And one key thing with painting things fast for selling is that if you don't make a mistake, you save time. Yeah. So that that can be through brush control or whatever, but if the layers you're putting down aren't opaque, if you do make a mistake, it's a lot less permanent than it would be otherwise. So yeah. with my plague bearers, they are sprayed black, they're sprayed white from above, that can be with a can or an airbrush, it really doesn't matter at all. And then I got rotting flesh, which is a colour that is characterised by shit coverage, um... It's just awful for that, but for my uses, uh, mixed it with glaze medium and thinner and popped it through the airbrush all over the model. So on the underside of the models, they were a lot darker because the colors got shit coverage, and I've extended that by making it more transparent with glaze medium. But on top, where they were white, it was um, the rotting flesh was really, really vibrant. Um, so I did that and then waited for it to dry, and then I added white twatting flesh and I dry brushed them twice and then I washed them with a mix of green and brown um, 
all over, and the only other real detail on the model was before the wash, I vaguely aimed, I think it was Leash Purple, not Warlock, at, um, at the saws and pustules. And yeah. the models just worked. It was a good scheme, it was very simple, and I felt I was learning a lot while I did it. So I did those, I then moved on to the Slanesh, um, taking the techniques, but I'd added a bit of paint into the wash and stuff. Like I wanted them to look more fleshy and alive, so I put a bit of bestial brown in the skin tones and on the washes and things like that. And I definitely, there's <clears throat> a learning point. My demons were huge, and um, like looking back on them now, that's probably one of the reasons why I want to return to them, Fraser Sigmar, because that mo- that army looks tired. A lot of the models are horribly spiky in Slanesh, or they got wings because they're plague drones and I needed an excuse to get them TLC and rebasing would be fine as well one thing I find a bit bizarre with you just on a mm-hmm. tangent around about you now is this um, my tree line yes yep. you just you just really do just chuck stuff around and put them boxes with towels on it I mean it's like you've got the Matsul t- tournament transport method down <laughs> and you but it's like even like your elf stuff I've seen you just they just all jumped in and like rubbing against each other, and I'm just like, man, really? Yeah, it's... Come on. It's, yeah, very Come possibly. On. It's one of the reasons why I hate painting things that aren't plastic. Because um, <laughs> they, don't, they don't stand up to your transport methodology. You just chuck it in a box. Well, it's, the transport's <laughs> actually fine, but I think how I treat them in other ways is... Um, in the game like, as well. Yeah. The um, the birds are a pig. Like, transporting Frostheart Phoenixes is just... That's a horrible thing to do anyway. But... Um, one thing with the elves is I never... The reason why the riders aren't attached to their wolves is because the wolves are the worst bit of my army. So yeah. they need repainting. And that is... I should have just knuckled down and finished them, but I never did. So that's why they weren't glued on. Although, I mean, you could argue that actually finishing things properly would be a, a much more healthy approach than moving on to the next ones. Well, um, I don't know. Sometimes it's... Sometimes you you haven't got the motivation to finish or do work on it, so you're better off moving on to something else. And then when you get yeah. tired of that, you move back. I mean, that literally the last sort of couple of years of my hobby have been fleeting between different armies and doing the odd model, the odd unit, or doing the odd finishing touch. So yeah. there's definitely something I, to be said for that. I was starting to take that approach, then Age of Sigmar happened. Um, so my elves would have been for that, but I'm not sure if I can face the heartbreak of breaking up part of those infantry bases that I spent so long on. Plus you only have like uh, five models because you've got loads of bases with, you know, you can actually paint more. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's awful, isn't it? More cakes will kill me. It's like GW um, and you. They're like, ha <laughs> <laughs> So, we've touched on my house. So I, I did my demons, and that was that was quite a long time ago. But um, I've talked about uh, refining speed painting, style, transparency, dry brushing, custom dipping. That was with them. And then self-criticism, and this was this ties in with a time when we started skyping, and I think that is also another. If we're going to pick key points that are notable, it's when I actively, like, I had a group of friends where we actively seeked out criticism from each other. Yeah. And what I'm talking about here is, as a painter, as a painter who's a grown-up, I should qualify that. It's like, constructive criticism, isn't it? Is what you want? Yeah. Not no, oh, that's shit. Or. Yeah. Or like, criticism would... from people who don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so there's, there's a lot of caveats, but um, I think a hallmark... Okay, I'm, I might upset a few people here, but um, a hallmark of people who are... People who have the potential to be good painters but aren't going to get there because they're in their own way is people who 
can't take criticism. That's that's in general in life. That's not surprising. There's another few things. So people who say, I don't like and insert a technique here, that is retarded. Um, yeah. Every technique in the world is valid. People who say they don't like non-metallic metal, fuck off, because non-metallic metal is just a way of placing highlights. Like, yeah. grow up, get over yourselves. If you've seen a really, really well-painted space screen in Golden Demon, that armor is probably painted like non-metallic metal. Like, it is just a way to improve contrast and make things look shiny. And anyone saying it, like, if, if any listener has said that, they need to look at themselves and wonder why they've actually said it. And it's probably because it's a technique that they can't achieve themselves and they're being bitter. Um, like, you have... I mean, you might not like the... I mean, non-metallic metal solutions, you might not actually like the overall effect. There's so many different ways of doing it. Like, you can do... Hmm. Uh, Tommy Saul currently is working on a burnished Roman-looking non-metallic metal, uh, one of the Stormcasts from White Dwarf. And a lot of people who don't like the crisp, clean type of non-metallic metal would probably really like this. Yeah. It's still making something look shiny without using paint with metallic pigments in it. Like, I, I do get it, and that's a bit of an inflammatory example, but it's like people saying they don't like airbrushing. Like, the amount of beautiful models out there, like, it's just a step. It's like saying I don't like washing. Mm. And it's the same as people saying that they don't like dry brushing. We definitely need a slap in the face. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know those are slightly different in my opinion, but yeah, they're, they're, they definitely agree with what you're saying there is that like end of the day it's it's how you get to the finished piece doesn't oh, matter true. really it's no it's the finished piece <laughs> yeah that's the... it's like saying like this is this is one of the reasons why you can offer prizes for cash prizes for painting in my opinion as long as you've got good judges like that's an important thing but um you go to crystal brush or whatever um there is no way to cheat painting a model like uh, Oh, he, I don't know, used Tammy Clear Red on that, and it takes three seconds and is really uncontrollable but can look awesome. Cool, it's it's another technique, it's a tool in your toolbox, it's something you have available in your arsenal. Um, every technique is valid, every technique is unvalid in certain situations, and every application of every technique can be a good one or a bad one. And actively going to people, ideally people who know what they're doing, um, and can express that in a helpful way, um, and saying, this is my army, what's good or bad about it? Like, your gut reaction might be, oh, no, that's that's hurtful, especially if someone's not got much tact. But um, people's opinions can't be wrong, and especially if someone knows what they're doing, getting feedback from them is one of the best ways to, to improve. And, and conversely, you might listen group. to that feedback and go, yeah, but I don't agree. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's entirely valid. Yeah, it's, um, that's... A, a hard line, isn't it, to but find? But it's, it's difficult to go from I don't see any value in what they're saying, so I'm not going to have any thought into it, or consider what people have said, and then make your own decision about, mm, I see their point, but, but maybe yes. not. Because, I mean, the amount of people that have said to me, oh, black trays. Oh, don't like your black trays. It's like, I, I, yeah, okay, you don't like my black movement trays. I'm not going to texture my trays. You, you know, that is just not going to, I mean, it's not a problem now because there aren't any, but <laughs> it's like, that is not, you know, that was never something I was going to change on for, because from a practical point of view, um, I didn't want to have something else that I could spend a lot of time and effort in and it wouldn't exactly add a lot to the model. All it's doing is detracting from the model 
Um, and yeah, I'm not saying that textured trays aren't can't be cool or can't look good, but from my point of view, I didn't want to waste my time doing it when I've got lots of armies and I can then swap my trays in between. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that's that's a perfect example. Uh, conversions is another one where a lot of people have very hefty opinions, and you have to put a lot of thought into which ones you do and don't take um, take into account when adjusting what you're doing or not adjusting what you're doing. Mm. Um, I think it's, it's always very difficult when you're asking for that. With, within our group, um, so a perfect example is, and I keep returning to it, and the reason I keep returning to this model is it's, for me, currently it's the best model I've ever painted, my Lawmaster. When I was doing my High Elf army, that army was was a really big learning point for me and one of the reasons why is because I did repetition of a technique that was really high-end and probably for your sanity and well-being shouldn't be repeated which was like nine stage blending on cloaks up to very very stark highlights for contrast so it looked good in shit lighting um, but was technically done well as well um, so um, there's about I think it's about 30 or 40 cloaks in that army and I painted them all in a very similar way and I learned a lot about where to push paint around um, doing so and transparency and things like that and we were on Skype a lot as we were doing it and Russ flat out said to me like they're done very well they're not for me um, we didn't leave it at that <laughs> no. um, the important bit is he said that is a cloak it shouldn't look like that because it's not made of leather it's not shiny it's it's not reflective, uh, which I completely get and definitely made sense. The reason why I had done it is so uh, people who don't know about painting get those much votes. Would, would, yeah, get those votes. but also in a badly lit room, and this is yeah. really important, like people can see that that cloak goes to something. It's not like if you've got a soft and subtle one that goes to a, like a, a felty finish, how it, how it should do. Sometimes in a yellow lit room, you just can't tell that, especially if it's hidden in the background of something or it's slightly backwards. Um, but, but taking that on board, when I came to doing my Lawmaster, because the idea with that was, and I, I pandered to this, I put him on a little plinth so people could pick it up without spacking him with sweaty fingers um, when he was being displayed and things, I painted that cloak more like a cloak. Um, and that was in no small part because of Russ's feedback. And it is the best cloak in the entire army. It helps that I painted 50 beforehand to a high level, but I painted it entirely differently from them with the same colours, and it looked better because of the um, of the feedback that I'd got. Mm. It wasn't it wasn't fantastic. like it's fine someone giving you feedback and you taking a bit of offence to it because you've put time into models or whatever. But if they thought about it and said it, they probably said it for a reason. Um, as a painter, I think, and the more you the more you advance as a painter, the more you you really thirst for that type of criticism because it's important. Like that could change how you how you paint forever. And as you go, we we do it a lot in our WhatsApp. It's what do you think of this? Is this stupid or not? Shall I try pushing this further? And then we'll get different opinions back because everyone out of the four of us paints in different ways, and yeah. we arrive at a lot of things like that. Um, Twitter's fantastic, like, it exists for a reason. Put it up. Don't be afraid to at people either. So people who you do respect painting and you think they might have a good thought on it, don't just hope that they see your tweet because Twitter might miss it. Um, at them in, like, people aren't short of opinions. <laughs> You're listening to our podcast. Yeah. You know that people aren't short of opinions. Exactly. Um, it's, but it's I'd really say, important. you know, that 
that in terms of if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I struggle with motivation to paint, I want to get better at painting. Um, if you've got pe- friends of yours that, that you you know paint as well, well, get on Skype, chat mm-hmm. as you're doing it. Like I say, get a WhatsApp group going, send pictures to people, put Twitter stuff. And, and this sort of thing is it's not only is it, it it's good um, to give, it, it is a little bit self-validating in, in places where you get the motivation to continue what you're doing. That Les is a perfect example. Les is fueled almost yeah. like, the only reason, let's be blunt, the only reason Les is doing his current army is because people said it looks nice. Yeah. And if that's the only thing that fuels him to finishing it and having something he can be really proud of, like, brilliant, rock on. There's nothing wrong with a bit of, as long as it's just not a constant, like, tell me how good I am. Yeah. Um, well, that's, that, <laughs> that's why you got to keep him in check. Yeah. And, and give him what, shit. Well, and every and time he tweets it, you just say, look, shit, mate. Yeah, it's shit, it's dry brushed shit. He he respects my opinion though. If, you, if I you, tell him it's shit, he knows. Just, he knows. I, I think it's good. He knows. On the last minisode, he specifically uh, he specifically said that he knew that it was something that was good because you Terry didn't say, say it was it shit. Was shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think that's um, yeah, it's a very good point. <laughs> Like, uh, seek out criticism. It is the most helpful thing you can ever have as a painter. Um, and take I mean, it. Yeah. If someone says, oh, that's not like, that That looks a bit bad there, you've, you know, they're not saying you're shit, they're just saying, you know. Yeah, and I would, don't get offended better. that if they've got, a, they don't like what you've done. The, yeah, you I would can. say there's a little bit as well of, if you like it, then. That's what matters. That's probably what matters. But what you'll find, if you're not entirely happy with it, that's probably why you're asking people. Yeah, for sure. Also, after you've stared at a model for or an army for however many hours, sometimes you just don't see things. Like yeah. it's it's very possible to sit down, paint a model, think it's done, go away, and come back to it the next day, and there's a blaring mistake or like like literally a mistake. You've slipped for the brush and you didn't realise. Or something like oh, that. Someone's put gold spot. paint over the wings of your bird. Yeah. Yeah, or, some, or some uh, a jealous heinous. rival has sabotaged your, <laughs> your blending. How did they do that? <laughs> that? I don't know. They've had a little old gold jizzgasm all over yeah. it. Exactly. Right, so <clears throat> to finish off then, because that's pretty much where I am with painting now, we've talked about people improving. This is probably something we should do a specific episode on but what would you what would you say uh, if someone is <clears throat> we get a lot of questions about improving but on a, in a general sense if someone's looking to improve their painting what are some things you think they should do generically I realise it's an extremely you know, open and broad question practice makes perfect practice makes perfect you, you don't what? know if you can paint something until you try it and then if you yeah, continuously sure. keep trying something over and over and over you will get it eventually I, sh- I think there's part of that. I mean, for me, it's there's like a step process. The first step is to research. Oh, definitely, yeah. It depends if you learn and by watching or learn by doing as well. You, like. Well, I think to do, you need to have some way, to, somewhere to start, some concept of what you're trying to do. So, first point is to work out what are you trying to do on your project, model, army, whatever, miniature, 
Um, depends on what stage you're at in your journey. If you're at the very beginning, the best thing you can do is re- look at techniques, follow some guides, and paint some models step by step that you've seen using those techniques. Um, a good example are the the Games Workshop videos on YouTube. Yeah, that's fun. Get get the model. As well. Yeah, well, get, get say like let's say airbrush, and if you're learning to airbrush, follow a guide start to finish on how to airbrush a model. Um, you know, just buy the stuff they've, they're using. Just sit down, follow it, learn it. And then if you're a little bit further along and you're like, well, I know basic techniques and, I'm, and what I'm trying to do is I want to do a project or an army or a, a piece, What what's your kind of goal for that project? So set yourself... I need to get better at flesh. I'm going to try an ogre army or yeah. an ogre model or something set, like that. Set yourself a little target. Like if you go, well, I want to do freehand so I'm gonna, and flesh, so I'm going to do ogres with tattoos on them. Then yeah. work out your <laughs> do a bit yeah <laughs> exactly then do a little bit of research um, on you know maybe look at some ogre painting guides um, look at some skin videos maybe look at like the Blight King video what what effect am I going to do or right, I want to do Nurgle ogres I want to make them look you know whatever then what you do then is you research and think about how you're going to do it then you get a model and you have a go. And then the, the the third part of this, so you've got your, your research, your practice, or your doing. Then the third part is your reflecting on what you've done. So it's not enough just to do it. You need to stop, look at it, and think about it, and go, where is it weak, where is it good? And that's where you get your ask other people, get some feedback, that kind of stage. Um, I think... The important thing for painting is to enjoy what you're doing and and just just enjoy the the journey. It shouldn't feel picking like a right job. Model, picking the right model is an important part of that. I think, and sometimes that's that's where I reckon people really get hit in motivation when they think I'm going to start a new army. I want to learn this technique. I'll pick this, and then like a perfect example would just be models that are overly finicky and complicated. I want to get better at power armor, so I'm going to start painting Death Company. Oh shit, they have 70,000 skulls on them, 500 scrolls, and there is detail everywhere. Or Dark Eldar, or or something like that. Like Knowing when to not carry on, which might not be helpful, because sometimes you just need to carry on, is um, sometimes you just need to drop something and then try it on another model. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it does depend what you're trying to achieve, really, with your your paint technique um, or your paint journey. But I think the important thing is to just keep having fun and not don't try to. Although, look at other people's stuff and like, don't. You need to push yourself, but not too hard and not too far at all, at, too quickly. But yeah. you also need to um, take your time and, and practice what you've learned till you've got good at it, basically. Yeah. So don't be afraid to. Don't be afraid to try new stuff, but don't try 20 new techniques on the same model. That's really, really complicated and unhelpful one at that. Uh, always yeah, base models as well. I mean, we never, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> like, there are some things that are hard and fast rules. Always base your models well. Spend time basing them. Like, that's, that is, in my opinion, just, that's a fact. Like, a lot of things are going to say here are opinions about ranges or products or whatever, but, you have to spend time basing your models well, otherwise you're not doing them justice. Like your base frames your model. It and has the, to be the same good. thing about that is cleaning the model up properly. Oh god, yeah. I mean, like if you don't like cleaning, don't buy cheap models. 
another one. Like, if you don't like cleaning time, do not try and save model by buying, sorry, save time by buying models from Avatars of War. Just, like, that's not going to help you. It's the same thing. It's like when you get a plastic model from GW, take the mold lines off of it. When you glue it, wiggle it about a little bit, get the glue so it seals the gaps. You know, get a good undercoat down before you start. I mean, this is before you even start putting paint on the model. Yeah, prep of the model is the most important, like, first step. If you, if you start with a shitty foundation, you're gonna have a shit result. Yeah, it's always... You just start half-assed, so you're setting a, um... You set the bar low. Yeah, you set it low and, like, uh, physically and, like, emotionally you set it low as well because you've not finished the first stage before you move on to the next one. And the thing is, what you'll find as well, you'll get to the point where you've paint, you've painted that model really well and you're really happy with the paint job. Then you look at it and you notice there's a big fucking line across the top of his head that you haven't sealed, you haven't covered the gap or you haven't sealed it in properly. And it will just detract from your, your job. And when someone looks at it, it will instantly stand out. And, you know, it's not an easy thing to, to do. But then at the same time, that's patience to do that before you start. So, like, you might in your head go, I really want to paint this model, but I've got to clean it up, base it, you know, get it undercoated, and then by the time you've done all that, all your motivation's faded away. And that that's a hard thing as well. I'd say that it's that balance. Some of the commission people out there will actually assemble models for you. Like, if you're a busy person and you really genuinely don't have that much time, don't be afraid to... To pay someone twenty quid to assemble your dragon really well if it's going to make your life more fun. Yeah, it, like, not everyone would agree with me on that one, but mm. I think it's important to enjoy, especially if you don't get much. Do everything you can to enjoy your time hobbying. Yeah, like yes, that. an airbrush is that's that's the obvious example of something that lets you get to the fun and enjoyable bits faster. But everything you can do to make sure you enjoy your hobby because you picked it, it's your hobby. Like do it. Mm. Um, what do you guys think? Like, one thing I see a lot that annoys me is people asking, what's the best paint range? Like, there um, are. I'll tell you what I've got on my desk here P3, Vallejo Game Color, Vallejo Game Air, Vallejo Model Air, Vallejo Model Color, uh, GW, Tamiya. I've got some weird Japanese metallic range. Um, and I've probably got a few more, just random ones. Army Painter. Uh, I've got army painter washes. I've got just every, it, you just find stuff. You know, I'm gonna pick yeah. up the new Forge World Air range because the pink and the purple actually look quite good, and I like pink and purple. Um, so I don't think there is a best. I think re- different ranges have better options. Yeah, don't be afraid to ask. Like, I'm about to paint silver. It doesn't go well for me. What would you recommend? All ranges are valid, and don't like (laughs) (laughs) some are particularly good. Yeah, yeah. I Um, think um, this comes down to experiment as well. It's not just technique, but it's medium. So different, try different mediums. So like you might rather than like doing on this model, I'm going to learn X technique. You might say on this model, I'm going to try out this new medium which might be secret weapon washes, or might be, yeah, it might be I'm going to use GW washes on this model um, and learn how to use them, because I think that's a big reason why people rejected them originally, is because they're trying to use them in the same way as the old washes and they don't work. 
Um, you need to. It's again, it's another tool for your arsenal. You get you get techniques and you get mediums that you can use. So, you know, and that's the same with stuff like, you know, like weathering powders, um, different basic techniques, you know, water effects, um, you know, different, <laughs> so much stuff. I mean, literally, there's so many products out there. Um, but again, it's the same thing. Don't try everything out before you've settled or, you know, don't, don't be afraid to settle on something you enjoy and like. And then there might, someone might say, oh, I do it using it a different way and I think it looks better. You're like, well, that's cool. Maybe it does. I'll try it on another project later on when yeah. I when I get round to it. You just sure, reminded me of another one. Secret weapon. That's another Different. range I've got. The secret yeah. weapon washes and the secret weapon weathering powders. Yeah, yeah, they are good. The pigments are really nice, actually. Um, using good products. Like one thing I see a lot is a trend with people who are saying like, "Oh, I can't paint. My painting never looks good." You look Brush. at the paints they've used. Yeah, use a fucking good brush. Like treat yourself by. It's in my it's, it's in my interest to say this, but get an Element Games Regiment brush. It will make your life better. Yeah, definitely. Um, use the biggest brush with the best point for the job. That's another one. Using smaller brushes will not make you a better painter. Yeah, don't go right and get the um, army painter. What's it called? Psycho. The, the Psycho. The Psycho. I had a look at that. I've tried it. I hate it. It if doesn't hold any. It, it doesn't hold any paint on the brush at all. Yeah. It's I like. Think it's for World War Two painters, isn't it? That think they yeah. need, they want to paint their squad markings on there. Yeah, but you'd be better off using mil. like a Windsor. A I didn't, or I didn't, I didn't say it was the best way. I just said it's for those yeah. sort of people. It is like I know Golden Demon winning painters who have done some of the best freehand I've ever seen in person. Who don't go beyond a double zero, and that is an absolute push. And noticeably, they don't have a zero. They have a. Uh, they've got a one. Uh, there's no zero, and then there's a double zero for when it's necessary, and that's as small as they go. So use good products. Um, people saying, oh, my painting's no good. A lot of the time, they will be painting over a black undercoat and, undercoat, and they're using layer-esque paints, not foundation paints. That's some, And it's probably because they've scrimped on price. So, for example, if you're trying to paint well and you're using... I really like army painters' paints, but I only ever really, apart from the blacks and the whites, use them as highlight colours. I think they're very good for... Um, so I, I use their scale highlight for turquoise pretty much always. Um, they will not do good things over a black undercoat. That is a fact. Um, like, help yourself to enjoy your hobby. We've said this a lot in various different ways and manners, but if it means spending a bit more on some paints that are made for covering well, like, just do it. Please help yourself. Like, oh, why why doesn't my dragon look good? And then a picture of your paints, and you've got a load of like very low pigment purples and greens, and you've got some streaky shit looking dragon. It's because you've used the wrong paints. Like, good products will help you paint better and enjoy your time more. Um, and just ask other people. Like, I'm planning on painting something. I want it to look like this. Cite a reference. Like, it could be a, a picture of something that's a miniature or not a miniature. Um, what should I use? It really will help. Um, you guys talked about having inspiration. Do you work with stuff around you to copy or pull inspiration from whilst you're painting, or do you tend to look and then and then go away and do your shit and then return to what you're doing? Because a lot of the time I will have something up on my laptop in the background for me to copy. So my 
uh, or another model. If I'm trying to copy a thing that I've done before, um, if I've written a guide for it, obviously I'll have that up. But if it's a physical model, I'll be trying to copy that. My Gilball Sin City models I've got up currently, I just had two different pieces of um, of uh, graphic novel uh, work and a picture of Sin City on my computer that I was flitting between to try and help me out because it was a, a new technique. I um, When I painted the Skaven, when we did our Skaven... Uh, Grace here together. I had mm-hmm. someone who had painted one um, already. I had their picture up on my screen just so I could sort of get, use it as color reference because I liked how he did the white fur. Yeah. So yeah, I, that's example. what I copied. Or how, to, or just how to place highlights. When I did my high elf dude, I had it wasn't a silver NMM one, but I had somebody done a gold NMM one up on the screen, and if it wasn't immediately of so I should be putting the highlights on the piece. I just copied his. I wasn't doing the same colour, but it's still very helpful. Yeah, well, he's already but done the work for you, so <laughs> you know, don't. You're not ripping off his design or anything. He's just shown you where the highlights should be because that's where they should go. So yeah, if they look right, he got it right. So you know, you're, you're saving yourself hassle, and then you know it's going to look good. For sure, you've used the DW videos, haven't you, Russ? But do you. When you're not using videos, do you work with inspiration or do you tend to solo it? Um, I don't tend to have stuff up in the background very often. Um, I tend to do a little bit of research or look at some stuff. For, for example, like the corn stuff, I'm excited about doing corn just because um, I've looked at some of the GW videos and the reds and I, I quite like the idea of doing different tinted reds. Mm-hmm. It's not really there's a specific model that I've seen. It's just more the concept that I want to do. Um, with I don't I try not to have something up in the background as I'm painting because I don't want to fall into just copying. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do look at models for a bit of inspiration or technique sometimes. Um, what I will say is what Adrian used to do, um, which I thought was quite interesting when he was doing a single figure for a competition he would he would spend 10 minutes looking at that model every day before he painted it okay um usually with a light source so he would hold it up to with a light in a certain place and he'd just study it and where should the highlights go and think about where he's going to put things and what colors he's going to use and what he did as well he would photograph the model undercoated with a light Shining on it. Yeah, I do that. And what he would do then is have that on a on a PC. So as he's painting, he can look at that and go, so I can see what bits are the most light-catching areas. Yeah, um, I see. So, yeah, fine. Not really practical if you're painting 100 dudes, but you don't, you're not doing it to that level. So, so no. Although, if, you, if you're looking to do a efficient highlights like and you that's a pretty good way to do them if on your first dude you hold him up to a, especially when if you black undercoat and then you hold it up to a light that's a really good way of doing it um take the picture front and back don't forget the sides if if, if it's got a particularly a uh, bit that may be an issue um painting one dude like that and just having that if you're only doing one highlight you may as well make sure it's right um yeah so he, uh, and like when he was doing um sub assemblies so say like he had like an arm yep. that wasn't going to stick to the body because the arm goes across the chest plate. He would have it on a cork, but he would do like a wire armature. 
so the arm is in the right place if he was holding the model on the core. Yes. Yep. Rather than just having the arm separately that, that's not... So that there, there's still the relation of where the light is and where the... You know, it's still going to look right when he puts the arm on the model. Yeah, it's I'm, not gonna I'm look weird. I've done sub-assemblies and then they're highlighted from different directions before. Um, the way I get around it is if you're doing plastic models, you can assemble something badly on purpose, pre-shade it, and then just rip the bits off. So you can't do that with other things as well. But, um, for example, the Arachnarok, I put it all together. The legs, because they're actually like peg and slot, um, I put a dot of glue. I'm using contactor, so it's very easy with a nozzle to uh, put a dot of glue in, put the legs on, sprayed it black, uh, pre-highlighted it, uh, pre-shaded it with red, and then just pulled the bits off that were going to be in the way. Um, you can do that. That's quite helpful. I think. Is that, is that everything? I think so. But like, everything in the world. We've covered all of painting. Not everything, but I, I was going to say, enough, uh, we've uh, mentioned it before, but if you're doing airbrushing, a good place to start is um, Lester Bursley. Awesome, yes, awesome, awesome paint, paint job. job. Him yeah. and the by painted um, YouTube channel as well. He, yeah, he um, he doesn't really make that many more videos any anymore. Um, but his old stuff's really good. Um, I used it to paint my first Frost Phoenix using the airbrush. I basically mm-hmm. copied his guide, um, and yeah, it's super <laughs> super easy to do. And he gave you loads of interesting tips on how to airbrush as well. So. Mm-hmm. I would say as well if you want to get into airbrushing is to pick up the Angel Grades um, guide because it's fantastic it's incredible, just so you can look at like White Dwarf used to be when you look at and see someone so much better than you that you, it's just like miniature painting porn in terms of their skill level, I think it's awesome yeah, uh, but I would say like if you're out there and you think oh my god that's so much to think about so much to do is just try and, it's like most things, just break it down into manageable chunks. Yep. So don't try and do everything at once. Just sort of think, well, I know I'm alright at doing this, but I really don't really know highlighting. So don't worry about blending. Don't worry about, you know, that sort of level. Just, just, just do line highlighting and just learn it and just get good at it. Um, and then I think there will go a point where you need to, You'll need to get a point. Sometimes when you get to a point of painting, you need to have be at a stage where you actually push yourself, because what you'll get, and maybe I'll might piss a few people off if I say this. I think there are some painters around that do good armies that paint in a certain technique, but that's all they do. And yep. because people like it and give them good feedback and go, "Oh, I really like your army," they don't go, "Well, yeah, but I could do it better." And actually, you don't fall into the trap of doing the same thing over and over again because it's fucking boring as well. Yeah. Um, when when you get to the point where all you're doing is changing what what model you're painting and what colors you're using, colors you're using to a degree, then you need to you need to look at pushing yourself a bit. But it's all balanced, to be honest. Sure. Also, if you're trying to improve and you're worrying about how your army looks on a table. Remember, no one will ever pay quite as much attention to your models or care about them as much as you do on a, on a critical level. Like, you've looked at your thing for however many hours, no more than 10 inches away from your face. Like, shit on a table is different. Remember what 
environment you are trying to paint your models for. That goes the same with lighting and, and all things mm-hmm. like that. But your stuff needs to don't paint up one dude and be really hypercritical when he's going to be standing in a unit of 20 of them. Like repetition counts for a lot. A cleanly done, crisp, simple model on a good base times 20 is something beautiful. Um, people forget that. Uh, also, a lot of things don't look good until they are 100% done. A lot of my painting in particular, given the way that I paint, doesn't look good until the final highlight or dry brush stage, which yeah. is the last 5% of it. That's um, the biggest issue with the dip. Yes, entirely. Until dull coat. Yeah, because even when you're putting down the base layers, layers you're going, this doesn't look right because it's not got any shade on it. Then you put the dip on it, and it doesn't look right because it's all shiny and goopy. Then you put the highlight on, it still doesn't look right because all the colours are, you've got matte over gloss. And then you dull coat it and you go, oh yeah, that's good. <laughs> Perfect so example. I find as well when I'm, stage. when I'm painting, I'm, I'm, I base my model halfway through. So I will have. Motivation to, or? Yeah. Yes. So I will make sure that once I've done the messy area, I will, and I base, to be honest, the base is usually quite a messy area. So I normally did get the base dry brushed and black rimmed in the colours I want it to be. Maybe not completely finished, you won't have all the flock and everything on it, but it will be painted, so say I've got like guys on cork, all the cork will be dry brushed, blended, shaded, um, with whatever detail painted, maybe just base coated, the rims black, then I can, I'll be painting the model, because I, I can look at it on the base, and it looks more finished than it is. Mm. Rather helpful than, colour. Yeah. And it's, it helps as well if you know that the, the base is going to be a, a weird colour that doesn't sit well with the model. Because if you paint the model, then you paint the base. Or if you paint the base separately, then put the model on it and you go, oh, it doesn't quite look like it should be on that base. It doesn't look right. Um, but anyway, that's another... <laughs> that's another we, can do, <laughs> we can do painting motivation and batch production of the day, cause I think, or just how people go about painting armies, because all of us do it different ways. Yeah. That'd be quite interesting, I think. I reckon that's probably it. Yeah, well, hopefully people will listen to that, pick up a load of good tips and stuff. We'll do um, we'll do another show, and I'll talk through about how I got to my painting point. That's what we do one about him. We'll try and focus it around certain techniques, but we might do a show um, talking about um, sort of army painting, uh, how to go about painting an army, because it's quite a big, big thing um, for a lot of painters out there. But I, I would say, you know, if you've got any questions or you want any oh, advice, great. email us, Twitter us. Um, and what we can do is we can either cover it on the next show or we'll just reply to your tweet or whatever. And if you want us to tell you model shit, just send a picture. And Terry will tell you it's shit. Yeah. That's If you want us to tell you how it's shit, uh, <laughs> ask, ask me or Russ. <laughs> <laughs> and if you, uh, if you want to, like, Keep Les painting models, just tell him how good he is. <laughs> Pretty much. Love Les. We love Les. He's a good boy. Right, alright, that'll be, that'll do. Uh, hopefully this, this, uh, little, little show's been useful for everyone. I think enjoyed it. Um, yeah, if you like the hobby shows, just, just tell us and we'll, we'll do more. Yeah, right? if you wanna, if you wanna pick a topic as well, uh, yeah. we're not guaranteeing it, but we're always up for suggestions. Exactly. Alright, well, um, hope you enjoyed that and we'll speak to you soon.